again with the Looking Glass Forum. We're maintaining our national heritage in an age of globalist tyranny, defending natural immunity and the natural man in an age of eugenics and transhumanism, and we're remembering the Sabbath of the Lord in an age of Romanism and papal despotism. Welcome back to Looking Glass Forum. Here we are, we're doing another episode. And on this episode, I just wanted to kind of get out the whole discussion, which is really like culturally taboo, uh, relating to 9-11. And it's a tough talk because this is where the um, the the people stopped thinking and there, there was a lot of powerful psychological operations that went along with 9-11, I think, that, that it, with the media too, they made it like really difficult and, and impossible to question the narrative, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's the fear factor. We're, 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 we've been going through it with with COVID, and, and I remember very vividly the how how I felt after nine eleven. I believed the story for a year. I believed the official narrative. My ex wife didn't, and I thought she was crazy. And that's how people look at people who question the official narrative. Yeah, I mean, I really didn't know what to think. You know, they really what come hits me now is that for a surprise a strike. There was a lot of cameras trained on the situation, you know, so it reminds me of the JFK assassination when somebody, you know, it was really expensive and rare to have like an eight millimeter, like portable camera at that time, like a portable eight millimeter camera in 1963. It's crazy to have one right there at that very moment when the guy is going to drive up and get shot, you know, so it's, but they did, right. they filmed it, which is like, you know, I mean, maybe somebody would film him go by, but I mean, just to, to be there with that incredibly hard to get technology and just be you know be right there and filming it is it reminds me that that you know that it was really well like documented like what you know so a lot of people didn't go to work that day a lot of strange stock transactions occur like the whole incident is really just fraught with issues you know and that and it's really it's all swept under the rug you know yeah we i was i was working at a mall store we were building a mall store and um Somebody had a TV and they brought it out right outside the store I was working at, and we were all pretty much just stopped working and was just dumbfounded watching the television. And then they said they wanted us to go home, so they cleared the mall out around noon, and um, everybody had to leave the mall. And we, uh, I got home, and shortly after that, Building Seven fell into itself. And that was that was filmed live. That was that's the thing. I don't understand why. I think a plane was supposed to hit Building Seven. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was, it was ready to plane. go. I mean, it was it was right with with whatever they use, nanothermite and dynamite or whatever. And and and, and as they said, uh, somebody said live on air. There was a lot of confusion, but they said let's pull it. And I love to go back and look at all the records. And if you look now with Google and and YouTube, it, it's really really difficult to go back and piece together some of the records. You can still find some of the videos, but a lot of the information uh, is just it's slowly just disappearing. And when it's gone and you can't see yeah. it, you don't know that you're missing it. You know. And yeah, there used to be a plethora of videos on it. Now there's now they're few and far between on YouTube. Yeah, and if it's I go look hard up to get one on Building Seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I go look up anything on it now, like the, the, the couple that I just checked, all have, like, right in the opening paragraphs of their little websites that they have discussing. There's one that's called the Institute of Structural Design uh, 
qualifications or something crazy like that. And then I go down, the very first paragraph, it says, although we uh, hold to the idea that there's a flat earth and we, we, we don't believe in a global earth anymore. It's, it's, it, so it immediately becomes this kind of like disinformation garbage, you know? And so then right after that, which is irrelevant regarding a flat earth, they, they go down and start discussing, you know, World Trade Center 7. So you immediately have to just kind of be insane to believe in the World Trade Center issues, right? That, that's what the website does. It sits there and it just causes disinformation because, you know what I mean? If you want to go and explore uh, World Trade Center 7 issues, then you have to, like, couple yourself with flat earth things, you know? That, that's kind of what I'm seeing when I look now. If you look wow. a little bit closer into those websites, you know, I would like it's kind of crazy. Yeah. I would like to do a study on the flat earth. How, how that came about and how so many people, people I'm friends with on Facebook, believe it. They still believe it. They, they, they'll end their conversation with, uh, well, good night from the flat earth. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. I, mean, I like don't that. know how people, serious people got convinced. Like, did I miss the seminar where everyone showed up and got convinced and I just missed it? Like, I don't know what happened there. When did we but switch I, to a flat I earth? I watched some of their videos, and, and they're just ridiculous. Right. They all, they all go to Antarctica, and they all do a, a something with the sun in Antarctica, the way it moves. It's impossible that it's a, a global Earth. No, no. They, 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 want to, they want to move from heliocentricity, which is that the, the center of the solar system is our star, or the sun, and, and, and for us, it's fixed. You know, and we move around it, and they want to move to geocentricity, which is that the Earth is fixed, and somehow the, the star is moving around the Earth, and that's that's flat Earth. I mean, so I mean, you have to be totally bonkers. And the flat Earth society business, I always thought that was just gaslighting. I thought it was just maybe we're getting to a point now in, in like the, the 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 fulcrum and the culmination of of, of our education of, of human intelligence, like that. But that quotient is at a point now where. Maybe they can convince everyone's so dumbed down that maybe that this will work. Maybe they'll be able to flat Earth everyone, and everyone will try. Will stop trying to explore. They'll just kind of go back to serfdom because they're back to flat Earth. We're back to like what is it, fourteen, uh, fifteen, or something? You know, we're back to Galileo all of a sudden. Well, wasn't wasn't wait wasn't the Vatican the ultimate like flat Earther? Am I missing something? I'm trying to remember. I, I don't know. I, I I think at one time they were. Well, they wanted to. Um, I mean, Galileo came up with the Copernicus models and he showed that, 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 that these, these objects, these objects in the sky are moving around us. And he, he, he was able to prove that it, we have a spherical earth. And then, um, they tried to kill him. They, they made him recant and burn his, his books and put him on house arrest for right. the rest of his life. I think if he would have went out and, and spoke truthfully about it, I think they probably would have burned him at the stake. So yeah, they were, they were, determined that the earth was flat and that anyone who said otherwise it was heresy so well it's, i mean the church can't be wrong right yeah i mean can't be that's the uh did you say they were the wrong the if you, if you said they were wrong oh don't say that because then you're in trouble you know that's a heresy no, nowhere in the bible does it say there's a flat earth right they talk about the they, they talk about the different directions, but they don't say a flat earth in the Bible. And they never say that the earth is the center of the universe. It's, it's not spoken of in the Bible. Right, it's obviously so that's, not, yeah. That's Catholic dogma. And they knew it. They knew it several hundred years uh, B.C. that the earth was round. They even had the... Uh, 
they even had the circumference down. I think the Greeks. I think the Greeks really nailed that. Yeah. And then the the, uh, the pyramids all points they you can add it up and then there's so many formulas you can do with the pyramids, but they they add up to a, uh, a, a circular Earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, a global Earth. Uh, that's just just one of those things, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's really it's distressing. Over. I don't hear too much more about it anymore, but. No, I think it is distressing because I think we, we were clear about the nature of the Earth then. I mean, if you look in the sky and you look at all, all the things you can observe, the moon, the sun, and when you can look at closer at the planets, they're all they're all spheres. So why would we why would we change here? spheres and we get a disc. Right. We, get, we got jabbed. Totally, yeah. And so, it, it, it's strange. I mean, I think that the Dark Ages, we lost all the ability to read and write and trans, transfer information generationally. And when you have just like a click of guys up in the Vatican who speak Latin, or, you know, who, who hold all their teachings in Latin, then the information isn't pushed out. And, and, and so you have the Dark Ages, and, you know, people forgot that the Earth was a sphere. You know, they, they began to believe it was flat. You know, and I think that, that they knew that Galileo was right, but they couldn't, you know, they couldn't publicly say the church was wrong. There had to be maybe a graduation period where, you, you know, they, you know, or maybe they just wanted the mass of people to just be ignorant and not know what Galileo was learning, you know, which is what the Greeks knew centuries before. So even coming to, you know, to America was, you know, putting faith in, in, you know, a global earth, you know, so the discovery of America by, by the pilgrims, if you will. And these are pilgrims who are coming to the new world for religious freedom because they just experienced, you know, six centuries of, of Inquisition. And people probably couldn't count up how many centuries it was at the time. They just knew that for as long as they could ever remember, the Dark Ages of Europe were just murdering them for, for you know, the Waldensians or, or the Albigensians or, or the Huguenots. Waldensians, yeah, yeah and the, Albigensians. The Jansenists. The Albigensians. Yeah. But they were, they were, they were also Gnostics or Cathars. Right, but at the same time, I don't like fault them for not having total, complete knowledge, but they wanted to hold true to their beliefs, and that's not a reason to kill them. It's not a reason to kill Muslims, it's not a reason to kill anybody. So I still hold the papacy at fault, even if they were like, they had a really good uh, propaganda, and they really put into the history that they were cleansing the world of these these dirty uh, Gnostic, you know, but at the same time, the church itself is based on Gnosticism. So, I mean, they just really wanted to have, the, the papacy at the time wanted to have the control and the primacy of the bishop of the world. You know, so he couldn't have any other bishops out there. He couldn't have anybody in Avignon being like anti-popes here and anti-popes there, you know, so... It was, the, it was the rise of the papacy to to the supremacy of world dominion, not just spiritually in church, but also in politics throughout the world as a civil power and a king in law, in the law, you know? So he could have an army, he could have, you know, that, and that's kind of what we're seeing again today is, is that rise again. Well, I guess, I, I guess now that they're sending uh, Captain Kirk up into space, I mean, what, can you imagine if when William Shatner landed if he got out of the capsule and said, my God, Bones, the earth is flat. (laughs) No, I think if you go up high enough, and surely the people who who fly around the world know it, but it's really for the people who've never traveled out of their county, and they're on their computer too much, they can really be convinced of this, you know? do this flat earth thing and so it's it's mind-numbing and and i'm not really sure what they gain like it, it, why is it such a clutch like why is it so crucial why is it the linchpin of their 
of their like belief system. Who cares? You know, I mean, they, they, but they seem to care so much that, and it really goes to the heart of globalism because now global globalism is a lie. You know, so you know if you're trying to fight the globalists and the the internationalists, but they've convinced you. Hey, I'm recording. Yeah. But they've convinced you. No, sorry. But they've convinced you that you're on a flat Earth, and I guess you lost, right? You lost the struggle. <laughs> Because they have their shipping containers going all around the world. Well, I, I, I definitely think it's an op, it's a psyop of some kind. I, 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 I bet it can be traced back to, uh, well, it probably can't be traced back, but uh, it, it was a psyop. Too many people knew about it, or they were, they were all set up with all these seminars. And right. It, From who? Like, to, to what end? Yeah, the, like, was, and you, and you was like on YouTube. You'd see, I'd hate it. I'd see something interesting, uh, a YouTube video about space, and it would wouldn't say anything about flat Earth. It would say uh, space, blah blah, stars and beyond. I'd say, oh, that's interesting. And you click on it, and it, for the first five minutes, it would be legitimate stuff. Right. Interesting. And then it would go right oh. into the flat Earth thing. Right. And it totally just, and, and they mix it in with other relevant issues, like I said, with the 9-11 deal, so that if you want to go look into issues about the, the building a 7 situation, then you, all of a sudden you have to read a, like, a couple paragraphs about the flat earth, and it, and it just, it ruins, and it, and it poisons the well, you know, of what you're trying to accomplish, which is get to the truth. So yeah, I think it's that cult. yeah, we're in an age. I, I think that they are good at creating this kind of like scientism, you know, where people have this kind of pseudo information and they like to you know carry on with it. But I think that we're trying to penetrate through that here because nine eleven was an, a way to go to war and to uh, to start the crusade wars again with Islam, right? So we're back to that kind of. Well, it, yes. it really is. It, it, if you read even a paragraph of, it's in one paragraph of the Wolfowitz Doctrine. Well, they were they're talking about world dominance and dominance in the Middle East and um, invading the the Middle East. And, and Wolfowitz straight up says, "We're at this time we're unable to do so. We need a catastrophe, something." Worse than uh, Pearl Harbor, right? And that was written in I think '98. And I mean, they did what they said, right? Yeah, you, you have Donald Rumsfeld in there, and then you have uh, Dick Cheney. So that that you know, Dick Cheney was had taken control of NORAD uh, about nine months before nine eleven. He was in charge of NORAD which is unprecedented. And then you got, I sent you uh, uh, an article on um, Marvin Bush. He was on the board of directors for security of uh, the Twin Towers. Um, you, you, can piece the, you can piece it together all the way down to a conspiracy. Right. And by conspiracy, I mean that we believe some. We don't believe the official story. That's why I uh, define conspiracy. Yeah, they had the um, the gentleman, the rich individual Silverstein, come in, and he basically bought the 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 the, the, the twin towers or, or what have you right there, um, and then he uh, apparently, uh, you know, 
he had the the insurance claim on the whole thing, and, and I guess he's now responsible for building the new tower, the new the new uh, one world one world trade center that they have now. I think right. that he, you know, so I think that in, in my mind, in many ways, like we just said before, it was it was a way to deal with the insurance. It's very expensive well, to like he, that. That I, there were just parts of it, or right. you know, that's how evil works. It, it it's it has there's an economy to evil. You know, they don't want to just do one thing. They right. want to get several Multiple things accomplished, accomplished. Right. Which, which they did. Um, I was going to tell you something. Oh, Silverstein. Right. He tried. He got $4 billion, $4 billion for the World Trade Centers. Mm-hmm. And he sued to try to get $8 billion because he said there were two terrorist attacks. Because right. two planes did it. But right. he didn't get it. But that's, that's what you do when you're... Right. When you're a big league billionaire financier, then you want you want it all, you know. But listen, uh, let's take a quick break because you know what we're gonna do. We're gonna just play the clip. We have an audio clip for the episode, and it just it's a brief discussion with the uh, a, a senator from Australia who's the government official in Australia. They call him the the Ron Paul of Australia. I guess this is his pseudonym there that he that gets. But I want to um, just take a few minutes and run that clip, and then we'll be right back. Okay, I'll play later. So just to break it down, we're just going to play a little clip here from Geopolitics and Empire. And it's Senator Malcolm Roberts. They're discussing uh, the issues with coronavirus, uh, climate change, and the party of Davos, China, and the Great Reset. And, and really, they're going to, in this process of talking about the elites and, and, and the, the power structure, the global apparatus that's being uh, established, they are going to have to touch on 9-11 and the issues with that. And that's really what we're, we're honing in on this episode. I'll add it in the show notes, so please pay attention and take a look. But we're really trying to... The serious people now can no longer remain clammed up in, in, in cowardice and in, in, in silence. So we have to discuss this issue with 9-11. So let's do it. It was fabricated. So we see this as a ruse. You've mentioned that in 1976 that the, the call was for global... Catastrophic global freezing due to carbon, hydrocarbon fuels, coal, oil, and natural gas. Now we see global warming. But now, actually, we saw global warming. Now we see climate change due to hydrocarbon fuels. These people are just fabricating whatever they want to get control of hydrocarbon fuels because whoever controls our energy controls what we do. Now, it goes back. So, so it's a complete fabrication. There is no evidence anywhere in the world. I've held NASA's Goddard Institute of Space Studies accountable. I've held our CSIRO accountable, Commonwealth Scientific Industry Research uh, Organization, which provides the government with this data. Now, that, that, that minister that I told you about a minute ago, Greg Hunt, who was responsible for the environment and, and, and putting in some of these policies that protected these people who are adjusting the data and, and called upon um, the... Uh, the government to do something about climate based upon the CSIRO, that same man is now our health minister, putting in place a lot of these pandemic uh, routines. We also see that I've held uh, for the last 12 years members of parliament, media, academics, government agencies accountable for their claims about climate. Not one of them has been able to provide me with the empirical scientific evidence proving that carbon dioxide from human activity affects climate. No one anywhere in the world have boyed has been able to quantify the specific effect of carbon dioxide from humans on climate, not even on temperature. So without that fundamental thing, quantifying the effect, you cannot make a policy. 
Without that, you cannot set targets. You cannot assess progress towards achieving those targets. You cannot do a cost-benefit analysis. No one has got it anywhere. The leader of the government in the Senate, Matthias Coleman, formerly leader, sorry, he left and became head of the OECD, where he's putting in place a lot of these globalist agenda. I asked him a number of times in the Senate for his empirical evidence proving that carbon dioxide from human activity affects climate needs to be cut. Never once did he provide it. He always resorted ultimately to saying, we have to fulfill our global responsibilities, our global duty. This is crap, Ogoye. It is absolute crap. It's run by a few, com few countries, a few companies, leaders, the globalists, the elites, um, to, to further their own nest to get control. And I want to mention Maurice Strong. You've probably heard of him? Yeah. A, a criminal. Went, to, went left the United States, a Canadian left the United States, where he was wanted for investigation into criminal activities by the American police and resided in China in exile, voluntary exile. China is the main beneficiary of these policies. And Maurice Strong hid there. Maurice Strong, he died in 2015, was an exceptionally talented man, uh, very, very gifted at networking, at manipulating people. He's just one of these people who could do it. Now, he created the whole of this global warming scam, this that became climate change scam, back in the 1970s. He manipulated and formed the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the so-called scientists, that is a political organisation, has never produced the science that proves that, that we need to cut carbon dioxide. And he has manipulated this throughout, and he's done it by exerting control on, on, the, on the grassroots movements People like Greenpeace, people like World uh, Wildlife Fund, people like um, the other conservation organisations in this country that are, that are pushing this crap. And they're just lies. Um, we also have Prince Philip saying that, at some time, saying that he would like to come back as a virus and wipe out humans. I mean, what kind of person is this? I, I have a lot of respect for the Queen. But look at Prince Charles saying much the same kind of thing. Absolute insanity. And, and then we have the ultimate betrayal. When they can't produce the evidence, they trot out an awkward 16-year-old who's not very comfortable socially and put her on the stage and say, we'll do whatever Greta Thunberg says. They, they parade her as the evidence. That is the complete logical betrayal of science. They're putting up a, an awkward and unsociable 16-year-old who's now an 18-year-old and portraying her as the reason we should do this. This is absolute crap. It's just it's blatant lies, blatant manipulation. They're wanting control, I'll say it again, they're wanting control of our energy, control of our industry, control of our resources, control of our property. I didn't mention that last time, but they're controlling our property rights. They're wanting control of water. These are fundamental, basic things about human existence. You control these and you control everything humans do. The, they're using so, what they call the United Nations sustainability, which is, by definition, reliant upon subsidies, which makes it unsustainable. Remove the subsidies and the cuts are not sustainable. But with sustainability, they want to regulate everything we do, how we live, what we do. The second pillar of this United Nations control effort is biodiversity. We've got to protect that fungus over there, those critters over there, the plants over there. We've got to turf you off your property because you're less important than the fungus, the, the bugs and the critters and the, and the plants. That's rubbish. And then the third thing they want to do is impose a globalist socialist governance, unelected. And that's what Maurice Strong himself said 
many times that that's his two aims, to de-industrialise Western civilization and to put in place an unelected socialist global governance. You don't have to rely upon just Marie Strong's words because many senior people in the United Nations, the bureaucrats, uh, what's it, Christina Figueres, for example, in charge of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which oversees the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, she herself has said it's to bring in a new world economic order. The Lima Declaration in 1975 was, was passed by a Labor, Labor Prime Minister in this country. The following year was ratified by the Liberal Nationalist Prime Minister, uh, and, and that is both sides have passed that. That is about transferring wealth, transferring knowledge, transferring uh, material, transferring manufacturing from our country to places like China. This has been orchestrated. It's been delivered. They've admitted that with their own statements, their own policies. And our dopey government in this country dishonestly is incorporating those policies into smashing our country. And the people are falling for it. So more and more people are waking up, though, around the world. So to answer your question, will it happen? It depends on the people. Liberty begins with you. You mentioned uh, Prince Charles, and I believe it was just this weekend he gave, brazenly gave, quite a startling speech where he called for a global military-style operation that would cost trillions of dollars to carry out basically what you what you described. So they're, they're openly telling us to our faces, and that that's that's a frightening. And and you mentioned China as well, which was kind of my the the last theme I wanted to, to touch on. Uh, we recently had this new security pact between uh, Australia, UK, and the US form uh, AUKUS, or however you want to pronounce it. You know, this is a sign that tensions are escalating between the West and, and Beijing, and you know how Australia, you guys are out uh, stu stuck, you know, between the US and China. Um, and you know, I, I've read analysis of the formation of this pact is you know one step towards war and even, you know, nuclear war, they're talking about nuclear submarines, and then, you know, Australia would become a jumping off point for uh, an offensive uh, on China, and as well as it would, it would become a prime target for China. So what can you tell us uh, about the current East-West tensions, as well as Australia's role in this new Cold War with China? Well, you, you opened up um, with a comment about Ron Paul. Ron Paul um, is self-taught. He's a doctor, but he's self-taught on economics and very, very capable on economics and finance matters. He's gone right into the uh, financial system in the United States and globally. He wrote a book called End the Fed, and I thoroughly recommend it to people. It's a book I like, like me. It's short, it's simple, and it's easy to read, but it's packed with information and very well written. He said that since 1913 and the formation of the Federal Reserve Bank, the privately owned Federal Reserve Bank. It's, it neither has reserves nor is it federal. It's not a government entity at all. It is privately owned and privately controlled. We know that. Many more Americans are waking up to that fact. But he said that since 1913 and the formation of the Federal Reserve Bank, every major war, every major recession is directly attributable to the Federal Reserve Bank and its policies. Australia blindly follows the United States into war. When we uh, had 9-11, and I won't discuss that in any detail because I, it's not something that I've researched deeply. I do have two questions about 9-11, about, uh, about, uh, though. How did uh, Building 7 collapse? It, it was razed to the ground, and yet it, it, it's never been discussed. 
no one's asked that question. Um, and why hasn't there been a formal investigation into 9-11? Uh, George Bush didn't have a formal investigation. His successor from the opposition didn't have any formal investigation. We don't know what happened. So there are two serious questions that haven't been answered. But, Ron, when, when, when I raised 9-11 because our Prime Minister, John Howard at the time, was in, a, in America when it happened. When he came back, this is not me telling you this, these are the words of Alexander Downer, who was the Foreign, foreign Affairs Minister, Minister for Foreign Affairs at the time, the Foreign Secretary, if you like. When he retired a few years later, Havoye, he said that John Howard came back from America, marched into Cabinet and said, we're off to Iraq. Just like that. That bypasses the, the checks and balances that are in place for, before we commit our, 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 our men and young men and women to foreign uh, military action. Back, if you remember, the previous Gulf War, we had weapons of mass destruction. We had Colin Powell come out. I believe he was lied to. He came out later and said, we haven't got the evidence. We had the, the, uh, the President of America come out and say, we don't have the evidence. We had the Prime Minister of Australia who told us, John Howard, that we went into that war, uh, in the Gulf War, because of weapons of mass destruction, admit that there were no weapons of mass destruction. We had people all over the com military uh, complexes and, and the governments of, of many Western countries, including Britain, said, no, there are no weapons of mass destruction. But they all relied upon that to start with. Many, what, the reason I'm saying this, Hervoye, is I question whether there really is any grounds for war. I question whose narrative we believe. Carbon dioxide, you're exhaling it right now. Everyone watching this is exhaling it. We inhale it at a, at, uh, in a concentration in the air of 0.04%, less than around four one-hundredths of 1%. It's a trace gas because it is scientifically classified a trace gas. We exhale it at 100 times that level, 4%. So by definition of these lunatics running this show, you're a pollutant. You're a polluter. I'm a polluter. This is complete crap. Carbon dioxide is essential for all life on this planet. But they're telling us that's now a pollutant. It is not toxic. It is invisible. It is colourless. It is odourless. It's not radioactive. It doesn't give off light. It doesn't give off any noise. It doesn't pollute us. It doesn't destroy the soil. It, 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 it enhances the soil. It's essential for all life on this planet. But they're telling us it's a pollutant. Now they're telling us that this virus is a pandemic, when clearly it's not. And they're using these things to put in place controls. It's the same with many of the things we're being told. They're blatant lies. And they're, they're meant to coerce us, suppress us, and keep us under control and not question. Well, with people like me and with people like you and with an increasing number around the world, we're saying, hang on, this doesn't make sense. It stimulates questions. And what I say to people is we have to, we have to remember who controls the vote. We vote. We control who becomes government. Use your vote wisely. If you're not happy with, with the candidates, become one. Stand up. So you can see that this is a senator from Australia. He's obviously dealing with a huge catastrophe in their country. I think that they were terribly foolish when they gave up their guns. So they have no recourse and no defense against uh, an invading army or a massive crime wave or international conspirators are there to like subvert your government and basically bring you down. 
and, uh, and and you basically under control of the security state. And as much as the security state now controls you and, and tells you what to do and what medicine you're going to take, and you have no really ability to defend your individual sovereignty. So you can see that they cover the cover the gamut of issues there. Uh, you can see that the problem of international globalism and the agenda it does go back to to 9/11 it goes back with that point in history when people decided that they were going to close their eyes uh, and, and and no longer be able to handle the truth or be able to look at it and powerful media propaganda powerful government institutions I, I remember George Bush getting up there and saying that they would not tolerate uh, conspiracy theories and, and, and you know so no they would have no one question the official narrative basically and you can see that with that program, uh, what, you know, and we're going to go into it more. We're going to have to take a look at more of the different clues and the different evidence and different articles regarding 9-11. And we have to take a close look at, at Building 7. Uh, Building 7 was not struck by any plane, and it was not damaged uh, in any serious way, but it was down there close to the, the aftermath. And it was destroyed and brought down by demolition, uh, by construction-grade demolition where they brought it down much like the, the other the, the, the larger world trade center buildings that were hit by planes they were brought down with precision under construction explosions so we'll show you that video we have also to introduce uh, the articles hollywood is full of the, the power player and the elite and they're really into the occult the, i mean the word hollywood mean the wood holly is the kind of wood that you need to make a, a magical wand according to witchcraft and, and according to occult science, if you want to have a practical magic uh, wand, you have to use Hollywood. And, and so it's the magic and it's the ultimately the Freemasonry and the powerful uh, delusion uh, of Hollywood that consumes the American mind. And we have to look at the symbolism. If you, We have to look at the movie Back to the Future. And if you look at Back to the Future carefully, you can see that they had a lot of the information and a lot of the, the plan and the blueprint for 9-11 was laid out. And of course, you can, you ha you'll have to, at this point, be questioning and be skeptical about what we're talking about here. But we'll introduce the video clip and the information. And there is a gentleman, he will break down all the occult symbolism of Back to the Future and show you how they imprinted the, the plan for 9-11 at the World Trade Centers and that destruction, they had it planned for many, many years in advance. And it becomes kind of obvious. So at this point, we're going to introduce a little clip here by Robert Sullivan IV. And he's a well-known, uh, he's an individual who's who's we've used uh, to come and, and, and use his audio clips and in his discussions on our show before. And in this case, we're going to have him introduce the idea of the, the occult symbolism this is the cinematography and symbolism of Hollywood. Uh, you have another book out on cinema symbolism. Uh, correct. This is uh, the third edition or the third uh, volume of Cinema Symbolism, Volume 3, Cinema Symbolism 3. It uh, came out last May, or I think the print edition came out in March and the ebook came out in May. And uh, yeah, this is the uh, latest, uh, latest of the movie books. Okay. And we also had you on for the Royal Archer of Enoch. And uh, you have a fiction book out called The Pact with the Devil? C correct. I think, I think I've been on the show maybe two or three other times. I, I lose track of them over the years. Yeah, I think I, think I, 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 I did The Royal Archbeanock and, and uh, 
Yeah, and I think one or maybe one or two of the movie books for one of those, and then there is a work of fiction out called A Pact with the Devil. Um, and uh, this is uh, yeah, Cinema Symbolism Three. All right. Well, let's get to some of these uh, some of the stuff in this book. Um, one of the things you cover is nine uh, eleven uh, with life imitating art. Yes, yes, correct. Uh, this is something that's uh, interesting. Um, that I, I actually stumbled upon quite accidentally, and uh, I, I had no idea about any of this. And um, I, I was researching 9-11, and uh, whether you're a conspiracy person or not, I, I did find this interesting. I'm not saying this is what happened, but it is worth putting out there because it is interesting. Um, was was the, the one thing that with, with 9-11, this focuses on the Twin Tower buildings, <laughs> Building 7, was when they collapsed, they come down in free fall, and they speculate that there was thermite charges that helped bring the buildings down. Right. Planes actually hit them, but the buildings come down on their own footprints, and this kind of defies physics. And many have speculated that if, if, if that was the case, there would have to have been explosive planted in the building. So obviously, that question or that, that hypothesis begs the, the next question is, well, let's assume for a minute that there were, were explosives in the building, thermite charges, whatever. How did they get there? Um, and sure enough, um, there was a massive renovation uh, that occurred in the Twin Towers um, between January of 2001 and September of 2001. And the company that carried out this uh, renovation, this refurbishing to the elevators, the escalators, was a company called Eighth Elevator Company. Um, and you would, th and what's what's interesting is that name doesn't appear anywhere in the 9/11 Commission. And you would have thought. I mean, logic dictates that if you are having, especially buildings of that magnitude, a repair, a massive overhaul, repair work done, um, Otis Elevator would be who you call. They're the oldest elevator company in the country. They're the ones who install everything. Hmm. But this little dinky company called Ace Elevator was called. And I hypothesize in the book, and that as a word I use that I want to stress, I don't state it. I hypothesize that if these guys were government spooks or something, um, they obviously took the name Ace Elevator from a movie. Um, and the movie I'm referring to is a 1985 film called Spies Like Us, where the government wetworks company, the dummy company, was called Ace Tomato Company. Mm. Um, it stood out to me like a, store, a sore thumb. Um, and I just found that very fascinating that, you know, it could be a case of, uh, of uh, you know, life imitating art where this, this, this company taken for this seemingly bogus elevator company was actually lifted from a movie. Um, and this is something I talk about in the book, how influential Hollywood is. Um, I, I've talked about, you know, on this show and other shows about archetypes and things like that, uh, you know, how, how they permeate Hollywood and, you know, permeate cinema. Um, Hollywood also invents archetypes. Uh, for instance, ask any adult or man, woman, and child um, to speak like a vampire. And what are they going to do? I mean, they're going to try to imitate Bela Lugosi's Hungarian accent. So it yeah. just speaks to something like that, to the power that Hollywood wields. Um, it's an interesting hypothesis, but um, something I did discover, and it, you can look at it disturbingly, but uh, it's there, and uh, I don't have an answer for it. But like I said, it could be a case of uh, life imitating art. Hmm. And you also, you also talk about 9-11 uh, imaging in films like Vanilla Sky, The Matrix, Fight Club, things like that. Absolutely. Uh, and this, this is a really interesting talking point because you do have, uh, and I do believe some people out there think that this is planned. Um, I don't think it is. I, I think, I think this has some, I, I think, I think you're dealing with something coming out of the world of the supernatural. Um, you have this, these slate of movies pre, prior to 9-11, before 9-11, 
leading right up to it. I mean, you, and you can document it. It's almost like a countdown of films such as Fight Club, which I think was 99, The Matrix, which I think was 98, um, Vanilla Sky, which was 01, um, but it was filmed prior to uh, 9-11, uh, Donnie Darko, I mean, even even a film like The Patriot with Mel Gibson, all had this 9-11 imagery in it. I mean, some of it's quite astounding. It feels like a countdown. For instance, um, the movie Fight Club was released on September 21st, 1999. I mean, it's almost the date, off by 10 days. And, of course, you have, at the end of the movie, the building's collapsing. Uh, you have Tyler Durden, that's Brad Pitt, referring to the site as Ground Zero. You have the destruction by the space monkeys of the sphere, um, the, the globe-shaped the, 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 the globe piece of artwork. This clearly represents the sphere outside uh, the World Trade Center Plaza, um, which was also destroyed in 9-11 with the falling debris. Um, that movie... Uh, like I said, it's almost released two years to the date of 9-11, but then you go back two years earlier to 1997, you have September 21st, 1997, and you have the Simpsons episode called Homer Simpson versus New York City, and this is one where Bart waves the money in front of the magazine that says 9-11, and the 11's made by the World Trade Center. So, I mean, you have this really bizarre form of synchronicity going on. It's almost like a countdown. And then you have the slate of Gnostic films coming out at the turn of the millennium. And it's all the ones we talk about. The Matrix, Fight Club, you know, uh, Donnie Darko, and they all feature this 9-11 imagery. And it begs the question of why. Um, and I, I think it's supernatural. I think it's something coming out of the collective unconscious. I don't see, I mean, it could happen that you had a bunch of studio execs sitting around saying, hey, let's play, play out a bunch of uh, Gnostic films coming out right before the you know turn of the millennium. I think it's much more on a subconscious, supernatural level me personally, and I think yeah. that makes it much more interesting. And uh, you, you, you definitely have it. And it's all these movies are dealing with enlightenment, knowing thyself, coming to understand that reality may not be what it seems to be, whether this has to do with the change of the millennium, the end of the age of Pisces, the start of Aquarius. Uh, this could all factor into this, but that, that type of symbolism placed in film, to me, doesn't see it's it's intentional, but it seems intentional coming from the world of the supernatural. I, f I feel like nine eleven was something that made a big imprint on us, um, and that type of imprint moves backwards in time as well as it does forwards in time. Um, and so maybe they were just picking up on that without realizing that they were picking up on it. I mean, you had uh, I think there was a rap band who had an album cover of a plane flying toward the twin towers. Um, oh, you you, you, you could go back in time with a lot of this stuff. I mean, yeah. the farther away you get from it, the more suspect it becomes, of course. But, I mean, you know, the, the stuff leading up to it, to me, is much more interesting. Um, but, I mean, you can, you can look go back in time to, um, I mean, earlier that year, I believe it was in 2001. I may have been, oh, 2000. I'm pretty sure it was 2001 where you had um, the X-Files spinoff episode, The Lone Gunman, where the plot of the pilot episode actually dealt with terrorist hijacking aircraft was a false flag and flying him into the World Trade Center. Really? I mean, you go back huh. in, oh yeah, I mean, you go back in time I and mean, we look at the um, the movie from the early 80s, Escape from New York, John Carpenter, where terrorists hijacked Air Force One and crashed into lower Manhattan. Um, I mean, that's that's 20 years earlier. Um, that's a know, little it, less it, specific, though. Oh, exactly. No, no, I agree. I yeah. totally agree. You can find this stuff going back earlier on to me, the more interesting aspect is the closer you get to the event is when it becomes much more pronounced. Oh, yeah. Much yeah. more visible. Well, I think if information is moving backwards in time, you're going to have exactly that happen. 
because uh, that rap that rap album I think came out in like '99 or 2000. I know Dream Theater. I want to say they put their album out right around 9/11 and it had a uh, cityscape of New York City on fire. And yeah. you know they put it out and then that happened and they immediately either, they either canceled it or they or they just stopped selling that version and then just put one out with just the New York City landscape. Right. I mean the, the one that the, the one that's really astounding is uh, the Vanilla Vanilla Sky with Tom Cruise, which was shot post 9/11. Um, it was in pre-production. It was excuse me. It was in post-production um, when 9/11 hit. And the movie, I think, was released in December. It was. I don't. I, I don't say believe it was released in December of '01. I mean, the end of that movie is very poignant, where Tom Cruise ascends this giant, you know, super high skyscraper um, in New York City that over actually overlooks the Twin Towers. And in order to come to consciousness and in order to come to self-realization, he has to jump off the building. I mean, you see him leap off, falling down, you know, right, you know, in the backdrop of the World Trade Center. I mean, yeah. I mean you know, it brings to mind immediately, you know, the people jumping off that building. And, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the, 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 just real quick, the director was pressured to remove that, and he didn't. And I think he was smart not to. Huh. And uh, I remember there was something weird with The Matrix. What was the, was there, the 9-11 date was in there somewhere, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, uh. And actually, the whole date appears. It's Neo's passport. It expires exactly. on 9-11-01 to the date. Uh, and there, there's a couple. There, there's another reason that ties into that. And, and it, it, it deals with his birthday also, um, which, which has a state date also that has to do with the suppression by uh, Nelson Rockefeller, the governor of New York, with regarding a prison riot. And, of course, Neo is the exact opposite, you know. He will free the prisoners from the prison. Right. So Neo's birthday also has symbolic meaning. But yeah, I mean, I mean, in, in the Matrix, the um, the uh, the date of 9/11/2001 is right there, um, and uh, it, it, you got to pause it. You know, and I think it's upside down, but it is readable, and uh, it appears in the scene where he's being interrogated at the beginning by Smith is where it turns up. And uh, yeah, I mean, you have that coupled with all these other things. Uh, to me, to me, just. I, I, doing this for the last, you know, 20 years or whatever, researching the, you know, Royal Arch and then doing all the movie stuff. I'm at the point now where I, this to me strikes me as more supernatural. Than yeah. Playing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty. Yeah, sure. I it, yeah, I think it makes it much, much more interesting. Go ahead. <laughs> I think you could probably do an entire book just on The Simpsons. Yeah, as you probably could. I mean. You scratch the surface with some of this stuff. I mean, some of it is really uncanny. Um, one of the things I talk about in the book, um, and it, I'm not being political here, but is Donald Trump. I mean, there's the movie The Gremlins 2, um, where he, there's a Donald Trump, I think it came out in 1991 or 92 maybe. There's a Donald Trump analog in that movie. Um, uh, called Daniel Clamp, played by John Glover, and there's a scene where he comes out of a, uh, a skyscraper. And he's interviewed by by the media, and they shove two microphones in his face, and the numbers on the microphones are eleven and nine. And it is again, of course, on November 9th, the day he became president. Um, and then this reoccurs. This reoccurs a few years later, um, where he uh, does a sort of mattress ad. I believe it's a 2011, I want to say, maybe 09, and uh, I won't get into much, but it, it has to do with counting sheep, and to make a long story short, the sheep wind up guarding his hotel room, and they're out in front of rooms 9-11, or 11-9, and again, November 9th, huh. and then you have, with Trump, you have the movie, the Lego movie, um, which also 
you know, you have you have a guy named Business who becomes president, president Business, and his sole modus operandi is to build walls around the different Lego worlds. He refers to his detractors as snowflakes. Um, I mean, it's 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 very prophetic, uh, and you know, it's very strange to say the least. Like I said, you just begin to wonder. You know, you reach a point where you're just saying to yourself, you know, this is more supernatural than it seems. You know, it seems beyond the realm of human possibility. Well, there's also the Simpsons episode where Trump is president, and it like literally occurred in real life that exact scene. The, the one, there's one where where there's one I think where Trump where it's it's Trump we came out. It, this is a mis mistake where it's made, but Trump was actually president. Oh, was he? And, okay. Yeah, I think so. I I, I I think that one's been debunked a little bit. But I know The Simpsons have been very pathetic, but it's been on for so long, I have to get something right. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, I mean, like I said, I get into I get into the whole idea of movies as prophecies, as, as vehicles of prophecy. I mean, you go back and, I mean, <clears throat> the there's an episode of um, The Legends of Chamberlain Heights, um, which I think came out around 2008, 2009, I'd have to go look, that depicts Kobe Bryant dying in a helicopter crash. Oh. Uh, the movie The China Syndrome was released two weeks before Three Mile Island. And of course, The China Syndrome is about a nuclear reactor melting down. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it really becomes uncanny after a while, and you do say to yourself, at least I do, this isn't, this isn't coincidence. So we're going to introduce more with this particular author, Robert Sullivan, the fifth, and he he does some other um, books too. Uh, he's a thirty-second degree Freemason, and he does a really interesting book called *The Royal Arch of Enoch*. It's the thirteenth degree of Freemasonry, and uh, that's a really a side note. But uh, one of the high degrees of Freemasonry is called the the uh, the Knight of Malta, the Order of Malta degree, and maybe it's on the. Uh, 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 on the other side of the Scottish Rite is the York Rite, and maybe it's on the York Rite side of Freemasonry. But the, the point is, is that when you get to the high degrees of Freemasonry in the Lodge, then you, you are introduced to the knighthood degrees. So there's the Papal Knights. And the the Order of Malta, the Sovereign Military Order of Malta, is a central component of our discussion, because we have to get to the to the nature of what is the military arm of the Vatican, who are these these high-level uh, internationalists who uh, who have an island nation, have their own passports, their own money system, uh, they're not unlike the Vatican, and from their fortress island of Malta, they're able to, the, the, the Order of St. John is able to, they originally were the, the Templar Knights, the, the Knights who guarded uh, Jerusalem. And uh, later, after the Templars were destroyed, there was the Hospital Order of Knights. And really, this is the extension of the Hospital Order. And the Knights of Malta have become entrenched, high-level elitists. They have a secret order that goes back some five centuries. And there were a lot of men who were operating on all sides, in all nations. Uh, like we said, in America, you can find uh, Albert Pike was a high level, a knight of Malta, he was actually the one who invented, like we said repeatedly in the show, who brought to bear and organized the Scottish Rite to become a powerful secret society within the United States. He invented the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, he was a Confederate general, and he was a, he, when the Illuminati came out over time, later on, he was the you know one of the uh, acolytes and the operators within this internationalist uh, Illuminati movement that was coming out of the aristocracy there in Europe.
other men uh, like uh, Cecil Rhodes is, is, is associated with this order. And we have to bring, again, the, the question of the, the incredible financial power and economic weight that was brought to bear in John Pierpont Morgan and also in their banking and also in the, in the controlling of the massive uh, standard oil fortune coming out of the Rockefeller family. As in as much as that, even the the Standard Oil operation was connected with Saudi Arabia, so the Saudi princes um, after World War One, after the destruction of the Ottoman Empire, the the, the they're going to come in and establish Standard Oil, and other Knights of Malta are going to establish enormous financial and commercial contracts and business deals with the the, the prince of the, the prince Saud and the 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 Saud family. So that they will be the the keepers of Mecca and Medina and the Arabian Peninsula, but they're really ultimately much like uh, when we were looking at the Club of Rome. We had to deal with the another monarch, a, a prince, uh, His Royal Highness Prince Bin Talil, is the president of the Club of Rome. So another uh, a, a man who's from a Hashemite dynasty, who ultimately is a Muslim from a Muslim family, and he's a royal. He's a monarch. He's from a monarchical family. So his brother is the king, and he's the prince, and ultimately, as monarchs and as princes, they're going to be associated with the Knights of Malta and with high-level uh, internationalist elite clubs like the Club of Rome, and who are ultimately controlled by, like we said, the Vatican. So you can see that on, on many levels, the, the Ottoman Empire was destroyed in World War One, but they have a new level of underlings and Muslim uh, sycophants and acolytes who really are are the do boys that serve uh, the papacy and serve the Knights of Malta and serve the princes. Ultimately, it was the British Empire who destroyed the Ottoman Empire and destroyed the Caliphate and ultimately cut up the Caliphate to become to Jordan, uh, the Kingdom of Jordan, become the Saudi Arabia, become uh, Iraq, Iran. So all these little nations that uh, like uh, in Lebanon, for instance, are all really the the. the the brainchild and the creation of the the British Empire. After they defeated the the, the Ottoman Empire, they would create these s several countries like Iraq and Iran, Afghanistan, and so on and so forth. And they would basically stand these countries up to become nation states that are like India are really just uh, jewels and the royal uh, crown of the real the royal tiara of the British Empire. So we have to extend, understand that extension of that power structure, and we have to understand that the the, the, the Knights of Malta and their position. And, and when we're listening to the different media outlets, we can hear the information that we need. We can hear people discussing the topics that we need to, to discuss, and we can hear, for instance, we're talking about Steve Bannon and the War Room, and he likes to discuss all kinds of topics, and when you listen carefully, you can hear him discuss the things that matter. So let's go ahead and just take a little listen here saying, hey, we're not going to go along with a weak Vatican and a, and a weak uh, a network of bishops that have just kowtowing to all these uh, woke policies. And this on the weekend where I think nine or ten officials in the Catholic Church, including a major cardinal, have been indicted for money laundering and, uh, and fraud. In, uh, in, in at the Vatican courts, right? Much less what's going to charge is going to take place with them and Knights of Malta and all this other uh, financial, the same guys that cut the deal with the Chinese Communist Party, the secret deal. So I want to bring in uh, Liz. So in all the, the relevant discussions that they're having at the war room, they're going to, for just a brief moment, 
say the quiet part out loud and discuss the, the, the major financial backers, the, the major power elite that are controlling these different globalist organizations are the Knights of Malta. Okay, And, and of course, one of the, the, the steps in the grade uh, to the ascension of their secret society is that you know, a lot of these guys are going to enter through the Freemason clubs or, or what have you, and they're going to end up, as they graduate up, they're going to end up becoming tools, instruments of this apparatus. And you can't become a thirty-two, a 32nd degree Freemason unless you pass through several orders of knighthood. So you're going to be, you're going to pass through the, the order of the Rosy Cross, the Knights of the Royal Sun, or what have you, the Knights of the, 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 the Royal Secret. And so there's all these knighthood degrees that you have to pass through in order to really get to the top of the pinnacle there within that club. And ultimately, you can see that there, it's a return to monarchialism and the aristocracy and the banking elite that it really has been uh, in Europe there that has been running the, the show for several centuries. So we have to address the issue of the Knights of Malta because of their influence in the background uh, with, the, with the issues of 9-11 and with the issues uh, moving us forward. And it, it, with the, uh, for instance, the United Nations uh, is set on a piece of property in Manhattan and New York City there that was donated by the Rockefeller family. So the, the, you can see that over time, the, the money, the financing, the construction, uh, and the actual execution of the globalist agenda is in the hands of these extremely wealthy uh, men who are Knights of Malta. Uh, right. The financing was for ISIS was coming from us, and I'm like, that's the most patriotic thing an American can do to stop our own government's uh, corruption, and it's documented. Like we had the Defense Intelligence Agency's 2012 the, the document saying we're supporting ISIS, and people just can't. It, it's really hard. Um, but this kind of segues into you know terrorism and all that into the next question I had for you. Um, yes, I haven't talked about this. I haven't talked about 9/11 much at all in the podcast. Uh, there's different reasons for that, but. Um, uh, you know, it's been 20 years since 9-11. A few years uh, after 9-11, Dylan Avery had created the Internet Blockbuster Loose Change, which I think factually demonstrates that 9-11 was an inside job, a false false flag operation, as Lance DeHaven Smith, uh, who I've interviewed, you know, he's, he's got the book, uh, he calls it a SCAD, or state crime against democracy. You worked with Dylan Avery back then. He has just created a new film on 9-11 called Unspeakable. You wrote some music for it. Uh, Avery's film, along with many other resources, was a wake-up call for me. After two decades, I don't know what more to say about 9-11. Uh, I feel like you either get it at this point or you don't, and nothing has been done about it. It seems nothing can, can be done. If we look at history, it's filled with countless examples of states' terrorism by nations and empires, and basically they get away with it. Uh, over time, the false official narrative has cemented itself. It seems the further we get away from September 11th, 2001, the less chance we have for true justice coming to light. So, you know, what, what are your thoughts and feelings on 9-11 20 years later, as well as, you know, tell us about Unspeakable and the work and uh, producing uh, music that you did for it? So, when Seven came out, which was a film that he did for Architects and Engineers a year ago, he reached out to Ramo, because Ramo did the original kind of loose change track uh, back in the day, and he wanted him to do a track for Seven, and then Ramo just reaches out to me and says, Parker, you know, you want to play some guitar? So it's like, absolutely. It's one of Dylan's movies, of course, and your song. So we did that a year ago. And um, and then this year, the same thing happened again. Dylan reaches out to Ramo to do another track because it's a 20-year anniversary. Now, um, interesting thing about it, I have not seen the film yet. 
Ramo had only seen bits and pieces of it. And I think that this is more of a thoughtful, thoughtful, this is just about the families arriving kind of at the place that you're describing, which I don't like saying this, but I think that I've long ago come to a place that I don't, uh, there are things that will not be reconciled in our lifetimes. Um, for them to be reconciled means a much larger set of events must occur. And I don't, you know, we're still talking about JFK, right? I mean, I think we all have a very good idea of what happened there. But um, it's never, the truth has not come out about that. So I don't think that the truth about 9-11 will come out in our lifetime. If it does, it may be as a byproduct of events that are very radical to our current state of living. So anyway, so that's something that for me, um, and it's also a very complex subject. I have friends that, you know, you could broach that subject and it would just infuriate them these days. And, and I lost a lot of friends at that time. And it's, it's so complex that you can't tell somebody in 15 minutes, you know, what you think happened because it's, it's not, it's not the U S government. It's, it, it's something that's far more insidious and, and subtle and far-reaching than that. But anyway, I, I don't want to get off too much on that. But yes, yeah, so that film, I guess, I thought it was supposed to start playing this past week um, in New York, but I just got a text from uh, Ramo yesterday that Dylan was finishing putting the credits on the new film, so it will be out for distribution, um, I guess, within the next probably a week or two, and I hope that everybody will watch it because I know that they put a lot of heart in this, and, and it follows four families who had family members um, perish in 9-11. Yeah, I, I, I was looking for it as well. I thought it would be published, uh, it would go to the theater first for like a week at, somewhere in yeah. New York, and then it would go up on, on YouTube, like uh, I thought it was the 17th or, or tomorrow, but I guess we'll just wait a little bit longer. And then, yeah. um, and I, I would agree with you, on, uh, you kind of put it succinctly, what, what's going on with 9-11, like it's not, I mean, we're still talking about JFK, and, 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 yeah. um, and it would take like, it would be, these civilizational uh, radical events would be like you know wars or complete radical political economic revolution that that would lead up to or be a consequence of of, of revealing of what what happened uh, really on 9/11 and like I said history shows us that so many countries you know it's not just the United States and you said it's not the U.S. government it's this you know deep state insidious force that's been around since forever. Biden could have been the hero in this. He could have taken the withdrawal, which was already set up to happen, and we were supposed to withdraw on, on, on May 31st. He did not do that. And by doing that, he further infuriates the Taliban, and we didn't get anything out of the deal by waiting longer for him to do this. I mean, it's not like we waited because we needed to get some things together. We got nothing together. We left people behind. We left our allies behind. We left trucks. We left money. We left weapons. We left vehicles. For what purpose? I'm not sure. I do not think it's incompetence because it would be incompetence so far off the charts as to be really just, I, I, I don't think that's what happened. There's another agenda at foot, which we could, you know, theorize on. But point being is right now we had infrastructure failures here in the U S in the first months of this year. We Texas massive energy producing power grid fails. 
Okay, so there's three power grids in the United States, of which the Texas power grid is one of them. So you're telling me, I'll, and even my father, I grew up in the oil business, full disclosure here, hate me if you want to, I grew up in the oil business. My dad knows a lot about the oil business, and he, he even bought it, that, you know, oh, well, we just couldn't handle it. I don't think that's the case. I think it was political retaliation for being a red state. I Straight up, that's what I think it was. And then, you know, we had issues in... Uh, in Florida later, so we are in what I believe is a controlled collapse once again. And the demoralization of the American people is is what's happening. And most people, well, it depends on your political alignment. Some people see this as, some people are angry about it, like myself, and they tend to lean to maybe more conservative or libertarian type views where those on the left who hated Trump and really that is their only platform is their hatred of Trump. So now they're embracing the vaccine, which ironically was partially brought to you by Trump. They're embracing the COVID lockdowns ad infinitum for the rest of our lives and um, turning in your neighbor, spying on your neighbor, um, a ongoing police state. So those are the two kind of things that we have in America now, which are in some ways, I don't want to use when you, when you say civil war, it seems a little bit. I don't know. I, I don't like using, but there's certainly a war of polarity happening within the United States. What I think it's really about is a loss of identity of the United States, and that was intended to happen. Yeah, I just want to get uh, just maybe just for a quick moment to theorize a, a bit on on what you mentioned about uh, Afghanistan. You know, just to toot my horn uh, a little bit because yeah, you know, I, I need the the support of that. But it seems like just like Antidote has, I've been front running uh, a lot of topics. You know, um, I, I got kind of. Um, a lot of attention last year for doing the first interview with Francis Boyle, the bioweapons expert who, who I saw uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who said it was a, you know, bio weapon and that got, it blew up. I even had the associated press and NATO write a piece mentioning that uh, on me the same week that my Patreon was terminated in February, you know, very Go figure. coincidences. And, um, I had Scott Ritter, the UN weapons expect, inspector talk about just like a few months ago, you know, I think it was back in the spring, like March or something or April talking about Afghanistan and pretty much what he said would happen is happening. So like a lot of people, guests that I have on are telling you the future and I have, um, listeners who tell me that they send they say you know my telegram channel and my podcast tells you what happens months uh, in advance but just your, your theory i also agree with you i don't think it's uh, incompetence what, what they did in afghanistan and no, none of this is incompetence they have strategic uh, plans they're not that uh, stupid and you know what do you think there's when you mentioned war you know is this the obvious like like uh, yesterday i was watching the 60 minutes australia they put out basically a propaganda piece about war with china and they're really pushing it aggressively like basically saying we're going to have a war uh, with China, uh, you know, the West, and it, it feels like this is the preparations for war with China. And I don't know if, if that's what you're thinking, what, what happened with the Taliban, that, that has something to do with, uh, you know, moving in, uh, arming them, you know, something to do with war with Russia and China. I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, let me applaud you for doing the work that you're doing. And I mean, all of the episodes that I've watched in preparation for this, it is excellent work. So uh, you actually give me hope. Um, I have been producing shows for other people for the last couple of years, and you know, I, this is the ongoing battle within myself. And do I have the guts to do what you're doing right now and say these things? And it's so I applaud you for doing that. In regards to Afghanistan, in regards to a war with China, it's just like the hyperinflation talk. I've been hearing this for decades. I mean, the, the war with China has been 
that's been like a meme even before there were memes. For people that had their ears to the ground, that seemed like the die had already been casted. At some point, we're going to do this thing. And even before Biden got in, there was talk that eventually you know, we were going to have hyperinflation. So I think that the chances of those things happening, certainly with hyperinflation, that's going to happen for sure within the U.S. Um, the war with China, I hope that it doesn't happen. But I think that the way that it happens is it's already happening. It's just not happening in a way that people listen this is the 21st century, so we shouldn't be fighting wars in in old in those old ways. I mean, information, uh, viruses, um, finances—that's kind of the new way to wage war. But to your question about the Afghanistan thing, it does make you wonder: Why did we leave all of that money? Why did we leave all those vehicles? Why do we leave all those guns? Now, there is arguments, oh, well, you know, those vehicles are not going to run because we pour chemicals into the engines, which makes the engine seize. I don't know if that's true or not. All I know is we left a ton of money and a ton of armaments and vehicles. Um, and at the very least, um, the aircraft that we left could be seized by China and just back engineered if they haven't already taken our um, technology back in that in. in in the 90s through the Clintons, like they did with the, the nuclear submarines, which you may or may not remember. But anyway, um, it does make you wonder if somehow we were arming the Taliban for a future um, conflagration with China or someone else, which, let me just pivot for a second. I heard one of your guests said something really interesting the other day about China. I forget the gentleman's name. But he was talking about this idea that the elites kind of envision China as their model society and that, you know, they're going to use China and, but China being too smart for that is going to kind of double cross the elites. And what I would say to that, I partially agree with that. However, I guess what I would say is what I would count on in regards to China or the elites or any country, what you can count on is for that count, that country, an entity to ask and it's to act in its own best interests. At the end of the day, they're going to act in their own best interest. And, and I've got to take my hat off to China. Um, I think the whole COVID thing was blamed on China, partially as a as general, uh, what's the word what I'm looking for? Uh, deniability, uh, plausible deniability. I, you, know, you mentioned all of the various simulations and, and wargaming that occurred regarding COVID. So I'm not saying that China wasn't involved. I'm just saying they made a great scapegoat because there were other people that were partnered with this, including the United States and including some of these transnationalist elitists who had the great reset and these things on their mind. But by blaming it on China, you know, as, oh, well, this is all strictly China's doing, um, that gives us this plausible deniability. And now I see this article that came out today in the Daily Mail where they're talking about the fact that I think George Webb uh, mentioned this probably a year and a half ago, um, saying that the first signs of COVID may have actually shown up in China in October um, of 2019 at those those military tournament games that they were having. And that came out in the, in the UK Mail or the Daily Mail today. Um, so as far as a war with China, I hope that never happens. But in some ways, I think that we're already in it. And this is 21st century warfare. 
Yeah, I, I would agree. I've spoken a number of times with Gregory Copley, uh, you know, a defense expert who briefs the, the, the Pentagon. And, um, people can check out the interview I've, I've done with him. He said he calls it the new total war, uh, just as you described it. We're, we're in it uh, already. So with that, you can see that they're having a really, like, critical conversation about the nature of all, all these events. And I love this kind of open-mindedness where we have to be prepared to face the enemy and to find and discover the enemy wherever they may be rather than just, you know, it, it's interesting because he said that <clears throat> we can count on China to act in China's own best interests. But with the, the perverse and corrupt leaders that we have here in the United States, we can't count on Joe Biden to do what's in the best interest of the United States, not in Afghanistan and not any other situation. So you can see that the difficulty that we're dealing with is a matter of subversion at the highest level. You can see that they're bringing in leaders into the Pentagon and the establishment within the Pentagon either is working with this, you know, black lives matter Marxist ideology, or they're too afraid to challenge it for fear of their jobs. I'm not really sure what the situation is there, but it, we're in a dangerous strait in America. I mean, they, they've already widened the, the Panama Canal. They widened it uh, 10 years ago. And it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it can fit the Chinese Navy through it now. And when in the past, you could only have one ship at a time. Now it's it's greatly. And of course, you, you have to recognize that they're, the Chinese the Communist Party is in control in, in, in large part of the Panama Canal, just like they're in the control of the ports in Los Angeles for whatever reason. And we have to face the reality that we're going to, uh, we're being set up to be defeated by the, the Chinese military. And I think that's something that people can't recognize. They can't recognize and connect the the connections. Uh, they, they can't understand the university strategy. They can't understand uh, what happened in Ingolstadt. They can't understand what happened with Cecil Rhodes and the Alfred Milner and the Roundtable secret societies, so that the influence that they have. They can't understand the work that Albert Pike was doing to create this radicalization and to create the, the disaster that we had during the Civil War, which created the empire of the United States and created executive orders uh, under the Lincoln administration and every subsequent administration. The people can't just follow the history. They're, they're being diluted and they're being dumbed down to such an extent that you, maybe even you're listening now and you think that the earth is flat. And I, I can't help you. You know, there's nothing anyone can do for you. I mean, you're just going to believe whatever you choose to believe, and ultimately, whatever the strongest, uh, the most powerful intellect, the most influential mind that comes around you is going to convince you whatever the next thing is you will believe. So you, you know, you have to test things, and you have to use your own reason. You can't rely on the work of others. You know, you have to to do your own work in this in this regard. So that was a very just fascinating conversation. And um, like, like we were introduced to the figure of Marie Strong, who is central in the United Nations in creating this idea of the, the ideology behind sustainability and environmentalism. It's become radicalized today, so that people, if you, if they, if you, if they believe that you're not doing things in favor of the environment, they'll just go insane, and um, they're they're at the point now where they might burn themselves alive. I'm not sure they're just they're literally losing their, their, their stuff because they believe the propaganda and they believe the day da the data that's been shaped and prepared for them and they and they're true believers. You know, that's what you have. That's what you have in the world is is a, a series of cannon fodder and true believers and uh, useful idiots all marching together. So 
as we're moving forward here, I have another just fascinating article. You just have to hear it. And look, all these different clips that we're playing, if I haven't introduced the, the authors or the podcasts or the books or the lecturers or the author, you know, the researchers, if I haven't given enough of the information, uh, I, I'm on a limited time basis. And all of the information is in the show notes. So I hope you'll go back through and take a closer look at what uh, the discussion is really all about. And uh, I hope that you'll give me some feedback here. And uh, we're working hard to make sure that relevant and extraordinarily profound information that is being usually, you know, the really good stuff is being hidden or it's being just not talked about or propaganda instruments are being used to suppress it or what have you. So we're just going to continue to fight the good fight and try to bring to you the unmitigated truth of what these what people are thinking, the real thinkers, the people that are not afraid to speak and who are not. Uh, you don't have their eyes closed. I noticed that there's a really enormous uh, a white building. It's it's a huge. It's, it's it's bigger than a football field. It's, it's this huge white building, and it's a sculpture really in New York City, and uh, and it's just a really big closed eye. It's a, it's a huge eye, which is of course an Illuminati symbol, but it's it's closed. You know, and I think that it's it's totally connected to the events of 9/11. That America, the eyes of America are closed in regarding the truth. And what happened there. So we need to dispress this. And of course, we have in the show notes of this episode, the video of Building 7. And you can see that it was demolished with the professional grade accuracy and symmetry, just like the other buildings. And it was pooled and, and, and the floors were detonated uh, it, it, with timing. So that one after another, after another, after another of the detonations are taking off. And it's just slowly and gradually collapsing the building on top of itself the way that you would do any old building. And that's what happened on 9-11. I mean, it was a professional military-grade psychological operation and a military precision attack of the, the deep state within the government against those buildings and against the people of America. And so that just that needs to be known because until those, those issues are worked out, they're going to continue to run these operations on us. They're going to continue to, to kill and murder you know, the people you know the people that are in their way and destroy the the those buildings and and and, and set off nuclear explosions i mean that, that's what's forecast in the hollywood script in the data in the information that's it's coming down as far as the back channel you know watching the the chatter as it were that's coming down that uh that ultimately we're going to be looking back at movies that told us specifically what was going to happen but we just didn't see it so that's the kind of thing you're dealing with here we're, we're you know hollywood is pumping it out it's being put in our faces and it's being spelled out what's going to happen and it, it has to go back you guys have to recognize that it's the secret treaty of verona it's the congress of vienna it's it's the old power players the old illuminati sector from Bavaria. It's the old powerhouse, the nobility and the aristocracy of Europe. It's coming together, joined with the papacy that's re reinvigorated and re-empowered, being controlled. I mean, we, we have to talk about the Jesuit order because the, the, the Pope, Bergoglio, is a Jesuit, has been his entire life. And he was the man who was the archdiocese or what have you, the, the archbishop over Argentina for, for many, many decades. And of course, Argentina was the place where the rat lines went and hit all the high-level Nazis, right? After World War II, they went to Argentina. So, so all these things are part in, uh, of a whole, pieces of a whole, and you need to understand that. And I know that to, to know the truth is, is a dangerous thing, but and if we're going to survive this, if we're going to make the right calculations, if we're going to strike at the right, the targets uh, that, that we need to, to face, uh, 
in our lives, whether it's, you know, building up the supplies we need for our future, whether it's cutting off the things out of our lives that we no longer need, whether it's, you know, taking part in uh, cooperative political action with your neighbors. We have to do what it takes. We need the right information. We need the right data. In these info wars, in this this era of cyber technocracy, it's a tyranny. And the, the way to control you is by dumbing you down, giving you bullshit information and false news so that you can't really tell what's happening. So, you know, we, you need to look behind the scenes are men like George Soros. You need to look at who they work with, who their affiliates are, and, and how they're connected and what their, their agenda is. And you can see that ultimately it's the, the depopulation agenda and it's the, 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 the slow and gradual management of the decline of America and the West. And ultimately, this is an extension of the, the, the plan of the Counter-Reformation. The Counter-Reformation, which was to roll up and destroy the effects of Western civilization so that you couldn't have a reading populace, you couldn't have people that were intelligent or educated. I mean, look at these people. They're, they're, they believe in a flat earth. You have to understand what that means. This is the power of the propaganda, the psychological operations that are being used against the American people. So with that, we need to listen to this very fascinating discussion. It's it's Jack Posobiec, it's Darren Beatty, and it's Raheem Kassam, and they're gonna they're at a live event, and they're just it's it's a live mic, and it's a hot mic, and they're talking about the truth, and this is all gonna lead up to what is our problem with the intelligence agencies in this country? What is the problem with the FBI? In this country, what is the difficulty with the deep state and the the, the CIA and the intelligence apparatus that's been we've been having uh, the skull and bones men siphoned through Yale into the skull and bones society into the the FBI and the CIA into high level government uh, positions for many 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 decades for a hundred years that's been going on because they were founded in 1833 skull and bones at Yale they were founded in 1833 and at that point Alfonso Taft was one of the men who was a founder and he, he was, you know, him and his children were going to immediately become congressmen and judges and senators and, and president. So the very first generation of, of Skull and Bones men had a president. So you need to focus like a laser on the Skull and Bones issue. I mean, that's what, that's what was happening with George Bush, the younger, right? George Bush, the, the son, he was up against John Kerry and John Kerry was just a Skull and Bones man. They both went to the same school. They both went to the same secret society. It didn't matter who won. They ultimately were going to have a skull and bone presidency because it was the it was nine eleven time. It was it was time for nine eleven to happen, and it was going to happen regardless of whether Republican or Democrat won. So let's go ahead and just give this a pause and listen to this fascinating discussion. I'm trying to illuminate your mind. Wow, it's, it's, it's like Raheem's never left. I don't know who's, who holds the stage more, me or Jack, at these things. Um, but I'm delighted to share a stage with him. Delighted to share a stage with Darren Beatty. Darren uh, does real work, um, just amazing work at Revolver.News, for those of you that don't know it. Uh, but it's such a fantastic website. It does a little bit of aggregation, but it also does a lot of investigation. And so I'm delighted to uh, have uh, both of you on stage here for this conversation about January the 6th. 
and the FBI. And before I ask the first question to Darren, I just want to have a little reminisce session with, with me old mate Jack over here. Um, we were on Capitol Hill that morning. We were. We walked down Constitution Avenue, which yeah. for those of you that don't know is the, the road that goes down straight past the Capitol building, downhill towards downtown Washington, D.C. Um, and Jack will remind me that I was uh, absent-minded, paying attention to something else, probably swiping through girls on Instagram or something. And um, it's, uh, well, it's better than what most what? conservatives in D.C. are swiping for on Instagram. So. So, um, so he's, sorry, so he's, you know, we actually leave because I had to get back to One American News uh, before Trump's speech ended. So we're walking down Constitution Ave. He's not paying attention. And I say, uh, I say, Raheem, seems like there's a lot of people over at the Capitol. And he's like, not paying attention, not paying attention. I said, it seems like there's a lot of, and then we hear it. Boom, bang, boom. The first two flashbangs that went off that morning, stun grenades, if you're not familiar with the parlance. So we actually were there walking down Constitution Avenue on January 6th when the first kind of conflagration started. And it was at that point, obviously, we realized that things were not going according to plan. Well, so and let's let's ask that or, question then. If they, or, yeah, as 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 Darren's contention would be, perhaps they were. Well, <laughs> that's the point. Darren, um, January the sixth, um, intelligence failure or intelligence operation? Well, that's a great question, and I'm so delighted that that is the preeminent question and the preeminent focus now as to what's actually relevant in explaining the events of 1-6. Was this an intelligence failure or an intelligence setup? Uh, my news organization, as you were uh, kind enough to mention, Revolver.News, uh, made quite a name for itself in first advancing the thesis that is very likely an intel setup. And our argument to begin with was quite simple. We looked at the charging documents for some of the highest profile indictments related to 1-6 offenses, the militia groups like the Oath Keepers and so forth. And what we found was something very bizarre. What we found was that in the charging documents themselves, there were many people referenced, unindicted, who according to the narration of the events committed acts far more egregious than those indicted. There was an undeniable case of selective non-prosecution. And so we asked why? Why are there some people mentioned in these documents who are not charged with anything when all of these little fish are charged with anything possible. How do you explain that? That the little fish are getting charged and some of the bigger fish, the higher ranked people in these militia groups, go free. And what, what um, uh, to explain for everybody what he was taught, what he was specifically looking at were the conspiracy charges, right? So this idea that the militias planned to go in and conduct an operation of takeover of the Capitol, right? So they're charging people with this conspiracy, or at least conspiracy to start a riot. And yet, so they're going through these text messages and Facebook chats and encrypted chats in some areas, and yet there's certain people who are charged, and there's some people who are not charged. 
And it seems like the people that weren't charged were the ones really driving the push for more aggressive action or to use the parlance of the, uh, the conspiracy charge is overt acts in furtherance of the conspiracy. And yet those people are not charged. In many cases, yes. And that's deeply suspicious. Of course, there could be different explanations for this, but to motivate one's uh, intuition as to what the most likely explanation would be, one could look through the entire history of the FBI and how they set up events, but you don't need to go back to the 60s and 70s. You only need to go back, and this is what we reported at Revolver.News, our original report, you only need to go back a couple months before the so-called insurrection of 1-6 to... The infamous kidnapping plot. There was a kidnapping plot of uh, domestic terrorists who wanted to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitner. And that's why we need to mobilize the entirety of America's national security apparatus to destroy these fearsome domestic terrorists. But guess what? It turns out not only did this so-called kidnapping plot also involve a plot to storm the Michigan state capitol... Not only did it also involve one of the main militia groups also imputed to 1-6, it turns out that 12 out of the 26 plotters were either federal informants or undercover agents. Including the number one guy and the number two guy. Exactly. That is a hell of a ratio. 12 out of 26 undercover and who not only sat back and let it happen, but played an active participatory role in making the event happen. And another interesting detail, the head of the Detroit FBI field office who oversaw this Michigan infiltration operation, Stephen D'Antuono, the day after these so-called plotters were arrested, FBI Director Ray promotes him to the D.C. field office where he goes on to oversee the 1-6 investigation. How fishy is that? And in light of that context, how do we explain the selective non-prosecution of some of the key militia members imputed to the events of 1-6? Don't touch them. And all the little fish, anyone who seemingly set foot in Washington, D.C. on that day with a MAGA hat is rotting in prison. And yet some of the top-level militia people who have done everything and more that the indicted people did, they're not touching them, and in some cases, not even searching them, because they don't want to know what's in their phone, because if they find, as the New York Times reported, one of the Proud Boys was texting his FBI handler, if they find texts like this, they're obligated to turn it over to the defense. So they don't want your communications if you're an informant. And that's why some of these people have not only been protected from indictment, they've been protected from the standard basic search. Makes no sense unless you look at the possibility, very troubling from our point of view, that this wasn't just uh, an intelligence failure. We know they're incompetent. It was an intelligence setup. So, well, let me just, let me just oh, yeah, go ahead, follow yeah. a question here as well, because, you know, in my six years I've spent in this country so far, I, I have found that Americans, especially conservative Americans, love their institutions. And, and uh, there's the 
at the Monopole restaurant in Washington DC there's a there's an inscription above the uh, above the door institutions are more important than people and it's a it's a hallmark of traditional conservatism actually is is building institutions preserving institutions so my follow up question to all of this and you know with the assumption because i do believe it um, that that 99% if not more of, of Revolver.News' theses on this is correct, um, then how do you get the American public to recognize that the institution um, no, must no longer exist in, in its... I don't believe it's... Let me ask it that way. Do you believe the FBI is reformable? That's a very interesting question, and I will answer... I'll give the answer that I gave on, on TV uh, on Tucker Carlson's show when he asked me about this, and I said, look... I think it's very important for everyone to understand this. Our politics in this country will, for the most part, be fake and performative. Fake and performative unless we bring the national security state to heel. We focus on elections, we focus on all of these performative things without bringing the national security state under control. All of these things will be fake and amount to nothing. And this is the broader context for understanding the FBI intelligence setup of January 6th. It's the context in which to understand the broader repurposing of our national security apparatus domestically in order to silence, suppress, crush the energies associated with Donald Trump's victory in 2016. Unless we find the organizational capacity, the guts, the brains to bring the national security state to heel, it's all fake. When you have listened to Darren, and he's been talking about this for almost a year now, right? Because we are coming up on the one year. It'll be the one year anniversary of the election of 3 November, and then it'll be the one year anniversary of 1-6. And you can imagine, by the way, I can tell you without a doubt, the theatrics and the ceremony that are going to be played out, the pageantry on the one year anniversary of 1-6 is going to be like nothing you've seen. Uh, we did the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and it passed with barely more the perfunctory memorial. 1-6 is going to be enshrined. Nancy Pelosi will be up there. Uh, there will be... There will be garlands of flowers. The oh, black armbands. Black armbands, you name it, right? But if you listen to Darren's thesis, it's very important, and it's also important to know, and I, I come to this from, you know, a different side of the table, where I was the guy on the other side of the table as an intelligence officer, uh, conducting these sorts of operations with handler, working as handlers, working with informants, not here in the United States, but, but overseas, you know, you work with informants. Of course you do. That's what you do when you're trying to, in, in my case, it would be collect intelligence. But of course I was privy to other operations that were going on and other types of, uh, setups like the one that he's speaking of. And so the problem though, is that Afghanistan has now been turned off, and we saw how that went. Most of the wars around the, the world have been shut off by and large. And so the national security state, though, still exists, and they need something to do. So I talked about it when I wrote my Antifa book last year, and they said, well, they refuse to do anything about Antifa. So they need to target those energies towards something else. So first it was QAnon, right? QAnon was the first one. But then that didn't really go anywhere because it turned out that that you know wasn't uh, wasn't this big Illuminati Freemason setup like they thought it was going to be. It's actually just you know a couple, not that many people to begin with. 
look at what Chris wrote, though, and Steve Bannon just talked about it, what he found, that they are going to start classifying people who protest the teaching of critical race theory in their school boards as domestic terrorists. Why would they do that? Well, because they're seeing the energies that start up the same way as Donald Trump's uh, 2016 victory. What, what was it? It was Facebook groups. It was Twitter chat groups. It was events like this where people come in, come together and say, we want to stand against the regime. We want to stand against the ruling class. We want to stand against the power structure. And so they know that those are the networks that need to be disrupted. So network disruption is the name of the game here. It's not even necessarily locking people up. It's shutting you down. It's breaking you apart. It's making these networks descend. It's making them not able to function together, not able to put on great events like this one. That is the goal because they know that's exactly how you uh, institute these demotivational forces towards anything. So it's the chilling effect, number one, of classifying you as a domestic terrorist, but also, number two, the ability to break up any of that movement before it attains critical mass. Darren, I want to bring you back to um, one of the points you made about how you don't have to go that far back to, to realize what's happened here. But if, if you indulge us to go back a little bit, I heard you talking on Matt Gates' podcast um, last week about a lot of this stuff. I mean, the, the tactics are not necessarily new. And, and the end goal isn't even necessarily new. Um, Rage Against the Machine used to sing about the, the, the end of history theory. You know, Fukuyama's, uh, uh, you know, globalist, globalist uh, uh, um, wet dream, for want of a better word. Um, and, and I wonder if you can sort of enlighten us, because it was a surprise to me looking into this, how for, for decades a lot of these tactics have been so readily deployed. Yes, absolutely. These tactics are nothing new. They go back a long time, and as Jack pointed out, the primary objective is disrupting organization and preventing uh, momentum from developing within movements that these agencies perceive as a threat. And unfortunately, they don't perceive anything as great of a threat now as, as uh, basically populism, both from the left and the right. And um, this is why most of the coverage of these issues has actually taken place uh, on the left. And a lot of people who are associated with the left have been covering uh, the FBI's history of disrupting um, uh, protest movements and so forth. Um, and in the war on terror, the first war on terror, the second war on terror is against us. The first war on terror, they were doing the same thing. In many cases, a lot of Muslims were set up. They were simply set up. Um, an astonishing detail that I that I learned uh, while researching uh, all of this for Revolver.News is the bomb that was made that eventually went off in the World Trade Center for the first attack. That bomb was made by an FBI informant. That the bomb in the first World Trade Center attack was made by an FBI informant. So it's amazing stuff. There's and um to to to, piggy, to go on that one. Um, I I talk about this publicly every once in a while, but uh, I I had a, my cousin and her husband were standing at the finish line of the Boston Marathon when the attack happened in April 2013. Um, she lost both of her legs. He lost one of his. And the more you dig on that one, you find that these guys were well known 
to federal law enforcement. One of them was even somehow seemingly able to travel back and forth to Dagestan, right, which is in the Caucasus, part of Chechnya, without a passport. Returns, but I don't know how you travel anywhere overseas without a passport. Right now you need a COVID passport, but he's able to travel back and forth with impunity. There's murders taking place that are tightly associated with them that seemingly go unsolved. It was a, a, a Jewish brother at a pizza shop and his, his two brothers. And then you come to find that neither of them had the technical expertise to construct the bombs that were made at the Boston bombing. You know, this thing about Inspire magazine and that put out, that is, you know, make a bomb in your mom's kitchen. That had nothing to do with the bombs they're used. These were sophisticated bombs. And yet the FBI, when you go and ask them about these questions, it turns into a black hole. And sources within the Boston Police Department say that every time they tried to find out who actually made the bombs, the FBI would come in, take all the evidence, and it would disappear. How about that? So it's nothing new. It's just what's new about this version is that all of these efforts are targeted against the deplorables, generally speaking. That the deplorables are the new designated group that uh, the government is going to use its incredible resourcefulness and ruthlessness and lack of any sense of ethics to go after. And partially this is to justify their budgets. The first war on terror is kind of played out with a punctuation mark, as we saw in Afghanistan. So now they need a new justification for their insane budgets. But partially it's, it's a part of this ideological consolidation that you're seeing across the American regime which I've come to call not even America, but the globalist American empire. So I think that that little piece of information uh, took uh, our breath away and the audience and probably you there in your car or at home or wherever you're at listening to this information. The FBI was complicit in, in supplying the bomb that went off in the Trade Center. They had to make sure that they blew it up. You know, and and it, it you know, would have happened if it, it would have brought the tower down. I mean, obviously those buildings are enormous, but it just goes to show you that the the intelligence community is not trustworthy, is dangerous, and is moving the pieces on the game board to advance the agenda of the globalists and the elite. Obviously, those are the money powers, the banking institutions, and when we look behind there, we can see that. Uh, a lot of the gold that was in the World Trade Center was confiscated and taken in, in the process of the cleanup. And so ultimately, there was another level of theft there. Like I said before, I, in my mind, it was another way to handle the insurance claim instead of how costly would it be for, for Manhattan to be shut down for as they take that building carefully apart and the environmental regulations. The cost would be staggering, but just to drop it the way they did was in, to create an international incident and to further the agenda and to, to create a new American uh, crusade against Islam was part of the agenda there. So in, in order to further this conversation and take this into the true depth uh, of, you know, we're getting beyond the censors now. We're getting past the forbidden stage of, of being able to return. We're, we're going beyond uh, the, the top secret confidential uh, uh, dynamic 
and the, the military industrial complex as far as penetrating the, the truth here and understanding the, what's really happening, the secrets and what's really going on behind, behind the scenes. And in order to do that, in order to understand the globalists and the international agenda, we need to understand who are the power players and the power structure itself. So in, in order to further that conversation, we're going to listen to another uh, researcher here, and we're going to take it to the next level. And the foremost is Augustine. <laughs> Augustine hated the Jews. And so therefore, the Augustinians imbibed their hatred for Jews in a religion that they'd created for Arabs, who are the natural enemies of the Jews, pursuant to the Bible. But the sons of Ishmael would always be uh, against the sons of Isaac. And so they fashioned a religion for the Arab people to fit this biblical controversy between the sons of Isaac and the sons of, uh, sons of Ishmael. And thus Islam never persecutes from a Catholicism. In fact, Islam goes into in about the 8th century. And Islam goes into Spain and Portugal area. And it conquers the Visigoths. The Visigoths were non-Roman Catholic Christians. And after they used Islam to kill out the Visigoths or drive them over the Pyrenees into France, then the Vatican uses its military to drive the Muslims ultimately out of Spain. And by 1606, they're out so we see many, many examples of Islam being used to destroy the enemies of the papacy. And why? Because Islam created in North Africa by the Augustinians tutoring Muhammad. And one of Muhammad's wives had been a Roman Catholic nun. Yeah, that's interesting when you look at his life. And now we're talking, what, in the 7th, 8th century now? The 7th century. 7th century, okay. So, yeah, and... When you start reading the Quran, you see so many similarities to Roman Catholicism, don't you? I mean, it's, it's a warlike religion, exactly as the papacy. It calls for the conversion of the infidel with the sword, just as Roman Catholicism calls for the conversion of the heretic with the sword. As Thomas Aquinas wrote in his Summa Theologica, and I have a quote in my book, they're identical. So now let's fast forward to 9-11. And you see, well, you see throughout uh, the 1960, you know, I'd like to talk about that for a moment, then we'll hit 9-11, because we've, we've, in a sense, left it off the table on many radio shows, uh, connecting the dots between how terrorism was orchestrated by the Jesuits. We hear about 9-11, and there's still constantly information coming out about really what happened. But, by, by, by the way, before go ahead. I forget, I put a recent post up on my website on Tim Risser. Okay. And that relates to him implying that 9-11 was an inside job on June 1st, 2008. And 12 days later, he's dead. Yeah, interesting. I was just talking about him with a friend the other day, too. Let's, uh, let's hold that thought and maybe touch on him in the second half hour. But I wanted to get back. Uh, many people don't realize the Jesuit roots in Iraq and how they were kicked out of the country, I believe, in the late 1960s. I think we could start there and then move our way into how terrorism has been orchestrated and how uh, these organizations have been fomented by Western money uh, to create this controversy between Muslims and Christians now that's going on in the world. Go ahead. Start in the 60s with the Jesuits in, in uh, Iraq. Interesting. Okay, let me, let me go a little bit before that, Greg, if okay. I can. Um, when Muhammad died, there became a schism between the Muslim people as to who would be his successor. The ones that chose the successor to be Ali 
were the ones that were called then the Shia Muslims. And so we have this schism after the death of Muhammad between the Sunnis and the Shia. And they are mortal enemies one toward another. The Sunnis hate them and regard them as infidels. And so the Shia now, because the Shia are also really the enemies of the papacy, because the Sunni Islam was created by Rome. Sunni Shia Islam was not created by Rome. And so now we have this enemy of the papacy called Shia Islam. And even Suleiman the Magnificent fought against the Shia. Um, uh, Saladin fought against the Shia, according to the count. And so Shia are the target. Because to have a unified Islam against the West, you have to neutralize the Shia peoples. Where do they live? They live in southern Lebanon. They live in Iraq. They live in Iran. They live in Afghanistan. And some of them live in, I believe, a portion of Somalia. That's all. That's only where the Shiites live. So, therefore, this crusade, this crusade with... Uh, in 1960, or going to 1960 now, the Jesuits had a very lovely university in Baghdad called Baghdad University. I believe it was the New York province, either the Maryland province or the New York province, that had established this Baghdad University in uh, Iraq for the purpose, of course, training its leaders that its leaders would then be subject to the papacy. Um, in 1969, the Shia of Iraq expelled the Jesuit order from their country. Now that is why, very why did they do that? Because they're meddling in politics like because they, they were here? That's right, because they were meddling in their politics. So the Shia wouldn't put up with it. So they kicked them out. And some of the leaders uh, then were went down in airplane crashes shortly after that. In 1971, the Jesuits bring the Ba'ath Party to power and put Saddam Hussein in power. And what does he do? He persecutes the Shia people of Iraq. He involves them in the Iraq-Iranian war so the Shia can mutually kill each other. And all of this is financed by the U.S. Jesuit-controlled uh, government, because if you read a tremendous book called, uh, uh, I think it's called Spider's Web, it's The Illegal Army of Iraq by Friedman, he shows you during the Reagan administration for eight years that his administration on both sides, Iraq and Iran, during the Iraq-Iranian war, because they want to kill off all the Shia. Yeah, and you see some pictures that are float, still floating around of Donald Rumsfeld seeming very friendly with Saddam Hussein as they're shaking hands and wondering, you know, I'm wondering what they're talking about behind the scenes, but I guess we can fill in the, the gap here. Uh, they're probably, again, fomenting war there, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Shia peoples of Iraq and Iran have to be brought down in order to organ to completely unify Islam. It's just like you have to completely bring down all Protestant sects. It's like this heretic we heard about in the middle of the news broadcast. Uh, you have to bring down all Protestant sects and submit them to the Pope by the National Council of Churches, World Council of Churches, and you've got to do the same thing with the Orthodox. You've got to subject the Orthodox Christian Church to the primacy of the Bishop of Bishops in Rome. They have the same principle applied to Islam. You must subject the Shia to the Pope of Rome, and since they won't submit, we have to kill them, and then they will submit to our Sunni leaders, and then our Sunni leaders will lead the way in the crusade against the West. So right now, they are conducting a crusade against the Shia Muslims. We've seen this very same thing when uh, when Israel invades in, in 2006 into southern Lebanon. 
Of course, Hezbollah started it, but Hezbollah is run by the Knights of Malta. And the Knights of Malta run in Hezbollah with their, with their hospital there on the border, according to the count in southern Lebanon. They then recruit all the young Shia men to fight in Hezbollah and then incite Israel to come and invade uh, southern Lebanon, which they never won, and kill the Shia people. So it's a war on the Shia of all fronts. I believe when they detonate Detroit, there's the largest Shia Muslim population in the United States in Detroit. They're going to go up in smoke. It's all yeah. a crusade now against the Shia. You know, I want to talk about that, uh, what you just said about Detroit. But first, uh, just give us just a little bit of background. So we have the papacy creating Islam. How did this schism happen? Where did, uh, why did the Shia, uh, Shiites rebel against the papacy? What was the main reason there that you found out? As I perceive it, the papacy being in control of Muhammad wanted to continue its absolute control over Islam after his death with his successor that um, succeeded him, that was a Sunni. I can't remember his name right now. And with this, with this uh, Ali laying claim to being the descendant of Muhammad, the Muslims who followed him, they became what is called Shia. And this now is totally out of control of the papacy. <laughs> papacy now is learning, learning, losing control of the sect called the Shia through Ali. So the Jesuits now control the Jesuit papacy. Have to rid the, the Islam of this of this of this schism, so that Islam can be united for the purposes of the papacy. And one of those purposes is to be used against North America. I think we, you know, looking at well, okay, the Jesuits thrown out of uh, Iraq. We have our uh, domestic and foreign policy being. We see the. Uh, ties between uh, Spellman back in the uh, Vietnam War, and we move our way into now this uh, war on terror after uh, communism falls, uh, and that is orchestrated as well. But just for uh, uh, just a refresher course, people may not be able to get their mind around how uh, our government, how the Jesuit order, can create a terrorist organization that can work its way into America, do the damage they've done on 9-11, and then create this whole propaganda campaign that the people of Islam are all behind this so that they can whip up a war between the two. So tell us how this is funded, how they can operate this way, how the Jesuit order really works behind the scenes so that when people uh, present this premise, they can back it up. Because most okay. people in America still believe uh, that uh, the Jesuits have nothing to do with 9-11. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, to begin with, we have to remember there weren't any Muslims on those airplanes. The airplanes were empty. Um, those airplanes were guided into the buildings by the military-industrial complex of this country. And as I've said for 10 years now, George J. Tenet, Knight of Malta, the DCI at the time, Director of Central Intelligence, a Roman Catholic, trained by Jesuits at the Georgetown School of Foreign Service, he was the mastermind of 9-11. So therefore, this Knight of Malta, George J. Tenet, his master at the time then, was the head of the, of the federal branch of the Knights of Malta, which at the time was Edward Cardinal Egan. Edward Cardinal Egan was the Archbishop of New York City. He's now been replaced by Timothy Dolan. And so Edward Cardinal Egan was the 
was that Darth Vader was the overseer of the entire 9-11 scenario using his DCI George J. Tennant, just as Cardinal Spellman was the overseer of the assassination of JFK using his Knight of Malta DCI John McCone. It's the same system, but with different players. Now, with this 9-11 with this that they brought about, they then uh, justified a crusade into Afghanistan in the following month. Uh, Afghanistan, was, Afghanistan was invaded on October 7th, 2001. October 7th is a very important day in history because it's on October 7th, 1571, 15, uh, that the Battle of Lepanto was fought between the forces of Suleiman the Magnificent and the, the Holy Roman Emperor with his Knights of Malta and the Jesuits. And the Battle of Lepanto in 1571 is considered the most important sea battle in world history, second only to the Battle of Actium in 31 BC, when Octavian defeated Cleopatra's fleet and then went down to Egypt, killed her, and took over the kingdom. So this Battle of Lepanto is extremely important for the listeners to remember because on October 7th it took place, Suleiman was defeated, the Middle East was then was opened up to the Crusaders once again, and it's on this very same October 7th day that the U.S. invades Afghanistan. So they start the Crusade of 7th, 2001, against the Shia of Afghanistan, primarily. So that's, uh, that's, that's kind of where it starts, and so now here we have it. And then the other thing I want to stress is that because the vast majority of white people in this country are ignorant as to these historical facts, they are successfully being herded into right-wing white Jesuit fascism. I just saw a guy emailed me a, a truck with a bumper sticker on it and it has uh, the Twin Towers burning. He said, I learned all that I need to know on 9-11. But I learned all I need to know on Islam about 9-11. And so, and it was a, a redneck somewhere down in the south, somewhere he had the Confederate flag, and he had, uh, and he had this painted on the back of it. I thought this is exactly what they're doing. They're inciting these people, these white people primarily, to unite under a fascist resistance and fight this crusade because they refuse to believe that 9/11 was an inside job of this government. Exactly, and then if we start really looking behind the scenes and looking at all the facts that prove that. Uh, we have to go one step farther and then decide, you know, and try to uncover who was behind it and how they orchestrate these things. And that's where it's very important to begin to look at the Jesuit order behind the scenes and all of their shenanigans throughout the course of history seems to be uh, forgotten by the American people. And this is why they can get away with it. Uh, you make a fact in your book, Vatican Assassins, uh, that they've been kicked out of uh, over 80 countries in, in world history. And this is only since the 1530s when they were formed, correct? From the 1540 to, what, about 1931, according to Jesuit uh, Thomas Campbell, who was the former president of Fordham University, he lists 83 countries, cities, and states 
that they had been expelled from since their creation. But the other point I wanted to make was that uh, the question is, well, how do you, th what makes you think the Jesuit order did this if, if it's Cardinal Egan and the Knights of Malta? My point of my book is that the Jesuits have been in complete control of the papacy since no later than 1814, after their formal revival by a bull issued by Pope Paul VII. And in that bull, he gives them all their previous privileges and immunities, and in about 1886 or so, Pope Leo XIII was poisoned, and he was approached by a Jesuit and said, listen, you've been given a poison, that we only have the antidote. And he said, you will sign this bull, giving us all of our previous power back, and if you don't, you're going to die. If you do, we'll give you the antidote. And so Leo XIII signed the, signed the bull, he was given the antidote, and he lived. So now... Uh, the, they're, they're, what they've done is they have created this agitation. It's the Pope's agitation. Remember, he's the one that's established Gaza. He's the one that's established West Bank. He's the one that wants to establish uh, uh, East Jerusalem for the Muslims. This is all from the papacy. Remembering the papacy always benefits from every dialectic, every conflict, every agitation that it creates. And uh, so what they're doing is is they are seeking to unite the Muslim world against Israel and against the U.S. And part of this unification involves the breaking away of Turkey out of the Turkey that was created by the Freemason and mass murderer uh, Ataturk in 1922. Ataturk did away with Sharia law. And Turkey, after it had killed approximately two million Muslim, two million Armenian non-papal Christians in the Armenian massacre, which Turkey denies to this day, by the way, uh, all killing them for the benefit of the papacy, because the papacy hates the Orthodox Armenians, and Islam wielded the sword to kill them. So Turkey is being driven out of its uh, somewhat neutral position, as it had all the way through NATO when it was the southern flank of NATO, and now through this Gulen movement, Fatula Gulen, uh, this man who is probably the most influential Muslim now in the world, who has been, who went into a voluntary exile in Pennsylvania here. So you know the Maryland Provincial is allowing this uh, Gulen leader to live here, and he has a protected compound up near the Poconos somewhere. Now, what they're doing is using this Gulen movement, they are driving Turkey into the anti-Jew camp. Israel did a lot of business with Turkey. Yeah, and this flotilla originated in Turkey, right? Out of Turkey, that's right. Yeah. And, the, and the count tells me this is the Gulen movement. Well, this makes perfect sense because the Gulen movement wants to unite Islam for the creation of a new caliphate in the Middle East, out of Baghdad, out of what used to be the center for the Ottoman Empire. And so what we have here is Turkey being pushed in this direction. Now all the Turks are boycotting Israel, exactly what the Pope wants. And this will also be another reason for the Pope to say, well, Turkey, you're not going to get in the European Union. The papacy has never wanted Turkey in the European Union, and it will never be. The only part of uh, whatever was once Turkey was uh, southern Cyprus, which is Greek Orthodox, they're in the EU, but northern Cyprus, which is Turkish, which was taken from the Greeks in 1974 by Henry Killinger, is not in the EU. So this whole thing is to keep Turkey out of the EU. It is to unite Turkey on the side of the Islamic world that will be in league with Russia. Mm -hmm. We always must ask this question, who benefits? Well, we know that the papacy in its control of China and its control of Russia and its control of the Islamic Sunni world 
is planning an invasion of the American Southeast. And I cover this in my book. That is why Jimmy Carter and the Congress gave the Panama Canal locks to, to Panama, which later then leased out its running to a red Chinese company called Hutchinson Wimpoa. So the Chinese run the locks in Panama, and they're building a huge new Panama Canal there that will be finished according to their estimates in 1215. The Chinese are manning the locks, the red Chinese. Second of all, you have the Bahamas, which is the largest container shipping port in the Eastern Hemisphere for the most part, and China is there in the Bahamas. China is manning all the intelligence in Cuba, because you see Cuba was given to Jesuit uh, communist Fidel Castro to serve as a staging base for the invasion of America way back in 1960. That's why it was given to him. That's why Alan Dulles made sure that the Bay of Pigs fiasco failed. So we have this encirclement policy in China right now. China's going into Jamaica. My black Jamaican friends tell me that lots of young Chinese there taking all their jobs. So we have this going on. Now you have Russia with a submarine and a couple of big bombers out of Venezuela. They're, they have their encirclement movement, and with this oil spill, I believe, I believe that if it continues, there will be a mandatory evacuation of the southeast coast. And when they evacuate those people out of the southeast coast, say, what, 250 miles in, you now have a clue. <laughs> you now can invade because you have nobody to resist you. Remember, especially those Southerners, those Mississippians and Alabamans, they're all armed to the teeth. Mm -hmm. So we got to get those people out of the way to have a successful invasion base. Uh, that's one advantage. Another advantage is, um, remember, the BP is controlled by the Knights of Malta, specifically Queen Beatrix of the Netherlands. She owns Royal Dutch Show, which is a part of British Petroleum. And you have Queen Elizabeth II, who's a dame of Malta. Both of them Bilderbergers, by the way. And uh, so they have orchestrated this for this particular reason. And Juan Carlos is involved in this, too. And he is presently using his company of Sintro to build the Trans-America, Trans-Texas Corridor, I-69, to Mexico, to the U.S., and to Canada. And that will only happen with military protection. To, for that to happen, U.S. has to invade Mexico. What they're going to do, they're going to nationalize the oil. Oil will be nationalized, just like they nationalize the banks, just like they nationalize the auto industry. They're going to nationalize oil. And this is part and partial of a fascist government. Fascism is always the unification between the cartel capitalists and the government of that country that these very same white cartel capitalists control. Now let's move over to the other borders in Mexico. Let's move over to Mexico. And uh, talk about what's uh, what's happening there in your recent research. How is that movement uh, also, the illegal alien situation, creating a weakness in that part of our country, in the West? Okay, the, this is designed, this has been a design by the Jesuit order to, to Catholicize our southwestern border since 1876. And this is documented by Richard W. Thompson in his great work, The Papacy and the Civil Power, written in 1876. And so with this Jesuit design of bringing all these lower-class uh, Mexicans into the country, uh, they are being, the Jesuits in Mexico are making sure they're leaving, and the Jesuits here are making sure they're coming in. And the staging base 
for uh, coming into the U.S. is the Jesuit stronghold of Arizona. And I posted something about this recently. It's called the San Xavier um, Mission uh, near Nogales. It's not too far from the Mexican border. And this is where I believe the Jesuits with their stronghold, set up by Eusebio Quino, who is considered to be the father of the cattle country, uh, the Jesuits are orchestrating this huge invasion through Arizona, and it will not stop. In fact, they've now incited more of this through a good piece of legislation that was signed by the governor there. But the Jesuits control her just like they control Arnold Schwarzenegger in California. The same Jesuit California provincial controls the California governor, the Arizona governor, the Hawaiian governor, and I believe the uh, Nevada governor. He controls that particular region of his province. So what they've done is now they have brought in all these alien Catholic Mexican invaders, which are soldiers. They bring in their flag. They plant their flags at the post office, at the public schools, demanding this and that. They have no intention of being American. They want to reclaim the Southwest, claiming that it was taken from them illegally. And this is part of the Mecha Aslan uh, uh, rhetoric. So with this now, they have got the agitation with the Mexicans. Now they've got the agitation with the, with the good bill that was passed by all the whites now being driven into their corner. And so now we have the perfect place now to have a race war. And when this race war starts, I maintain they're going to ignite the black and white race war. At the same time, they ignite the Latino and white race war. This will then drive all the whites to desperation. Adolf Hitler will come to power. Northcom, NORAD, uh, Department of Homeland Security will spring into action. Blackwater will be with them, which is run by the Knights of Malta. And then they will come to the rescue and solve the problem. And here we'll have no constitution and be under martial law. And that's the purpose for the Mexican invasion. That's why Janet Napolitano doesn't want to stop. That's why George Bush didn't want to stop. That's why Barry Davis Obama didn't want to stop. It's absolutely necessary to bring America to fascist martial law to have this alien Mexican Roman Catholic and even uh, is, uh, Islamic invasion because there are many Muslims there too. Yeah, and they can use uh, Arizona as a powder cake here by creating this type of strong legislation supposedly against illegal aliens. Yeah, why didn't they do it 20 years ago? <laughs> yeah. Why did they do it 25 years ago when it was starting to happen? They waited until they have 40 million of them in the country. Now we'll pass this legislation. Now we can foment domestic insurrection and, and rebellion. And all the Mexicans you see, every last one of them is going to the concentration camps. That's why I tell you Mexican people, you need to leave this country. You need to get back to Mexico as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, uh, I wanted to ask you what have you been? What's your research uh, centered on uh, in the last weeks or so? What's what's been on your mind lately, and what have you been talking about on your radio show a lot? Um, I talked about uh, George Allen, who was the past governor of Virginia. He was also uh, a U.S. senator from Virginia, uh, and what he did was. He was to be really the foremost Republican candidate against uh, Obama. Well, he was credible. He did many good things. But he was given an order. And that order was to call a, an Eastern Indian who was born in Virginia to call him a macaca. Now, macaca is like using the term nigger or something like that to deliberately incite the listener, and to then, he would then come under attack. He used the term macaca twice, deliberately. 
When he used this term macaca, then everybody came out and said, what are you doing using this name? And then it turns out that his mother was, was living in North Africa and she had learned this term because this was the term used for the black Congolese by, during the days of uh, King Leopold II. And it was also a term used for East Indians that come here called the macaca effect that the East Indians take jobs that rightfully should be Americans. So when he used this term macaca twice on video, <laughs> that completely caused him to lose the U.S. Senate race with, um, I believe the man was uh, Mr. Webb, Greg Webb. And so the Democrat won the U.S. Senate seat for Virginia, one of them, and that threw the, a majority Democratic vote in the Senate so that they could pass what Obama Biden want. The second thing is he was to be the presidential nominee for the Republican Party. In 2006, in December, he withdraws because of this term that he used, and now he's not really fit to run, and that ensured that they would have that decrepit, uh, loser John McCain that would ensure an Obama-Biden victory, at least in appearance. So, I maintain this George Allen, and he now has what's called the Friends of George Allen. You can Google it. And it has 300 of the most powerful men you ever want to see. It's got Bill, and by the way, Bill, Bill Gates is funding the Gulen movement. Uh, it's got um, it's got uh, George W. Bush on it. It's got uh, uh, Carlucci, uh, Frank C. Carlucci the third, former DC, uh, former deputy director of Central Intelligence, Carlisle Group. It's got several billionaires, many senators, other big bankers. Uh, Verizon, the head of Verizon, who's a not a multi, Bruce Babico, I believe. It's got all these power brokers that are the friends of George Allen. What for? <laughs> what for? Because I maintain George Allen, who is now some sort of an authority at the Reagan Memorial Library, that's what they, that's where they nested him, they're waiting to bring him to power or somebody like him, waiting in the wings to then unite all the white people into their fascist movement. Because all of these agitations have been deliberately caused to bring some supreme fascist dictator to power, white fascist dictator to power, by the way, he's a Protestant, so we'll make him a Protestant. So we can't really trace it to Rome, right? Mm -hmm. And then once and then once he comes to power, then he'll implement all these Department of Homeland Security. Remembering, of course, that the Department of Homeland Security was created. It was it's a design by John C. Gannon. John C. Gannon is a Knight of Malta. John C. Gannon was in the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. John C. Gannon was an adjunct professor at Georgetown University. John C. Gannon's a Jesuit, and he created the Department of Homeland Security, which I call the Department of Homeland Security. So yeah, what I, what I, yeah go, ahead. go ahead. So this is what I see with this George Allen, and that's, that was an article that I worked on, and then I just finished one on, on uh, Tim Russert yesterday. Yeah, I want to touch on Russert, uh, but first just let me mention this. Uh, when you're doing your research out there, listeners, uh, start at Georgetown. Start looking at a guy named Edmund Walsh, or Father Edmund Walsh, and then uh, go to Eric's book and start uh, tying the, uh, putting the dots together regarding all the people that have followed that man and the connections to them. They're going to be astounded how powerful these people are behind the scenes and uh, how no one in America knows about it, and the news media doesn't want to cover it, and the reason is they protect Rome as well, and they protect the Knights of Malta because many of the, the top media people are involved in the same organizations, right, Eric? 
That's right. Henry Lewis, the father of the Gannett newspapers and Time Life, he's an Adamalta. Cardinal Spellman's intimate friend. Remember, the, the press center of this country is Rockefeller Center, across the street from St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. The CIA is there. The CFR is there. And whatever comes out of that is run by the Knights of Malta and is facilitating the purposes of the papacy, which has quartered, is headquartered at St. Patrick's Cathedral, where the Knights of Malta are headquartered. So, that is how we understand that. Jesuit M.M. Walsh, he himself was a Knight of Malta. Yeah. So, so they're organizing the press and, and they're orchestrating everything. And anybody that gets in their way, like Tim Russert, who was trained by Jesuit at Canisius, Canisius High School in Buffalo, New York, he was trained by Jesuits at John Carroll University in Cleveland, who was the personal uh, gopher, the, the, the helper for Patrick Monahan, that Jesuit who, uh, U.S. Senator out of New York who was a Fordham uh, visiting lecturer, and he was also part of the cover-up in the JFK assassination. Uh, Tim Russert was absolutely in the Jesuit order's back pocket. They made him and created him, but when he started to go against... The, the story of 9-11, and when he started to infer that was it was an inside job on June 1st, 2008, when he was uh, interviewing uh, McClellan, the Bush's uh, White House press secretary, uh, what, 12 days later, he was dead. Right, and let's fill in, those, uh, fill in those 12 days. Now, we know that Russert also was one that, he was a, what, he was a Meet the Press Sunday broadcaster, right? He had a big show, I, I'm not sure if it was Meet the Press, it was one it of was those Sunday shows. Meet the Press. Yeah, and so he was a very high uh, profile figure in the media, working for NBC, comes out of Jesuit University, has ties to Moynihan, like you said, uh, and then begins to look into 9-11 and, and starts to get the, uh, those, those broadcasts out about the possibility of it being an inside job. But he also starts interviewing Bush and Kerry regarding their skull and bones connections. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know, we, and on this radio station, you hear his voice most every day. Uh, saying over and over again, uh, well, what does that mean for America? And Bush says, I have a, you know, whatever Bush says. Uh, so he then, after that occurs, uh, now he, he's talking about 9-11 as an inside job. He takes a trip to Rome, unbeknownst to many people. He was in Rome just prior to his heart attack. Uh, right. I believe at his son's graduation or something, but fill in the dots there for us. Yeah, it was a celebration for his son's graduation at the Boston College, <laughs> Jesuit Boston College, probably the, the second most powerful and largest Jesuit university in the country. And he was there for a celebration, and what does he do? He has an audience with Pope Benedict XVI. He leaves Rome, he comes back to the U.S., and his wife and his son stay in Rome. I find that intriguing. Yeah, I find that and then, very interesting, yeah. And then not long after, he, he supposedly collapsed on the floor at NBC News there, which appears to me that he is in cup. And that's pursuant to the Jesuit oath of the fourth Mm-hmm. Someone gave him a cup of coffee, and that was his last cup of coffee. And uh, strange things. No autopsy, right? No autopsy. I have a whole list of anomalies on my site there for review. There's no aut autopsy. There's no. We don't even know the doctor's name who gave the autopsy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a complete cover-up in his murder. 
and, uh, and and nobody's talking about it. And obviously the Jesuit hands in it because he attacked the Iraqi war. He didn't want the war in Iraq. He he he, uh, he, he mentioned or tried to uh, lead on with the idea that it was a inside job of 9/11. So yeah, that that really wraps up the articles and different uh, information that we were going to add in. I want to add the, um, you have a source watch article on Marvin Bush that you added. I want to, I'm reading that now. It's got a lot of data points in it. It's pretty intense. It's it's Wikipedia, I think. Okay. So it's right out in the front like that. It just, it it just pretty much intel you that he was guilty of um, so is he the brother then? Yeah, he's the unheard brother. You know, I ever talked about him. I heard he was sitting down, to, having dinner with, uh, I can't remember who it was at the time. It was really suspicious. But uh, the other Bush brother is um, was the governor of Florida during that whole thing. Um, Jeb Bush. Right. And he's apparently, he's a, a fourth degree, a knight of Columbus, so... That's pretty serious. Really? So, I thought they were evangelicals. I didn't know that. Yeah, if you look it up, you can, you know, see the background. Um, He has a special audience with the Pope and things like that. I don't know about George, but yeah, Jeb Jeb apparently is just with, um, up there with Biden at the old, at the old uh, Roman, Roman church there. But I think that, yeah, go ahead. So, I'm thinking, um, that, that, uh, the video, the Back to the Future video, oh. it was really uh, mind-bending, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, we have to add that into the show notes so people can see that. But it, yeah. it, it really is disturbing how how much details of, of the the incidents that were going to occur on September 11th, how it was kind of written in into the movie. And w- w- when did that come out? In, like, 1986 or... Was that too early? Maybe I saw it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think '86. So they had I a pretty. Have, I, I can't. I can't look it up right now. But it's, I think it was '86. They have a pretty accurate, like handle I've on what they're going to do. I've seen the movie. Uh, I bet I've seen it fifty times. That's the crazy part. That it becomes so ingrained in your mind, and you're not really sure. You know, you know the, all the underlying subliminal plot. You're not really seeing it until later on. It you know. And, and it makes me wonder how many movies uh, coming out of Hollywood are, are like that, that have a kind of these details. All of them. Right. I think all of them. So we're pretty far down the line with, you know. Uh, Why this is an opportunity to, to get a message out when you have so, when you have something um, artistic to ride on, you know? I don't know. Well, I mean, he, he was talking about, if you go further into it, he was talking about how, it ties in with Bike Club, and it's kind of building up, and there's this kind of like tension that's building up in these movies towards towards September 11th of 2001, and it also has to do with The Matrix came out in 1999, I think, and, and he's talking about the, the point when he's sitting with the agent um, in the movie, Neo, he's sitting with the agent under torture, he, they, they show a really quick scene where they flash the passport, uh, it's, it's John Anderson's passport or whatever. And, and his uh, birthday is September 11th, 2001. Or, or, or there's some kind of date. I, I don't know what the date is, if it's his birthday or how, it, how it's relevant. But And the guy that was floating upside down, 
in juxtaposition to the uh, the the window screen of the falling towers. Right. It, it would only look. It would only look. Up. It would only look um, upside down. I mean, you know, like they were falling if they, you were upside down. Right. It's it's really just kind of disturbing because I remember those those scenes just kind of like throwaway scenes in the movie and I'm not really sure why I'm seeing them. Like the window is supposed to be a TV, so she's she's flipping the TV channel on the window, but you're really looking through or like a horizon and, and it's like the World Trade Centers. So yeah, it's kind of crazy. I guess Back to the Future. In the future, there is no World Trade Centers, you know. I see the. Uh, the skeptic in me is is saying is saying no. That's okay. We're just, um, we're just closing out the episode, and uh, we went through a couple of of, um, of lectures, and we and just showed a few things. And I think that the point is is that at that at this point, the deep state, if it's not the deep security state, the biosecurity state, if it's not confronted, and if it's not held accountable, then it's going to continue on this track. And uh, we're going to continue. They're, they're, they're talking about COVID nineteen is only the new nine eleven. And, and I, I hear we're listening to another another podcast. And they're talking about uh, it's really, COVID nine eleven. It feels like it doesn't. It? Doesn't it? Yeah, we're kind of we're kind of over looking the whole. Looking back in retrospect of COVID, and then look back in, looking back on nine eleven, and it, it really there are some very similar feelings. Yeah, it's all the same media outlets, and it's all the same personalities, and uh, even Fauci it, it, with Biden. I mean, Biden's been we we've been seeing Biden in the background of our lives up in the center for for decades without really noticing, without really like focusing in on him. He's just been there, and, and Fauci too. He he was dealing with the AIDS epidemic in the eighties, if you know whatever that was, the AIDS situation. He was in the middle of that. So these these personalities, this whole deep state. Uh, cabal is really I think we're going to be dealing with some new 9-11 events coming up I'm sure that they're going to spin the, the you know spin the thing around some more and uh, we've really lost our way as Americans I mean we're, we're under all these emergency powers we have the the homeland security emergency now we have this uh, biomedical emergency uh, so they're, they're they're pushing in on our on our biological property now like they they seem to intend to do what they want with our physical bodies, you know, uh, I think that this last default, banking-wise, is is devastating because um, we, when we when we began the, our our last default in 1929 uh, with the Great Depression, when we when we had that default, we began doing birth certificates, social security numbers, death certificates, and and this new taxing, you know, and, and that that all came as part of the program. And now, um, yeah. and now that we're, you know, a, a, as individual as citizens with social security numbers, we're all held like your household and my household. We're, we're accountable for the debt per person, you know, like up to two hundred fifty thousand per person or whatever it is. And I'm sure it's going to go up more. But each of us are are are, are commercially responsible, you know, for those debts. So once we default and we go into this hyperinflation, this spin with this Federal Reserve currency. Uh, I think that, that that means that they're going to sweep the board and they're going to take everything that there is, and that's basically, we're basically enslaved. That's what it looks like to me. You know, I, in, During 1929, they took all the gold out of circulation, 
as part of the default swap. And now I think the only thing we have left to barter with is, is our bodies. Right. So, so we, the, the crisis sets, sets the standard, right? It, it really does. I mean, it feels like 9-11, all the same media outlets, all the same personalities, all the same kind of pressures, and it's the same kind of hysteria. Uh, I remember after 9-11, everyone was waving flags, and we, we would probably would have invaded anywhere. And it's the same kind of popular, you know, kind of dementia. Like, it's kind of a sense of, of um, social anxiety, you know, and, and people are reacting in their cowardly way, and they're, you know... They, we're wearing masks because we feel like we're not being rude to each other. It's it's crazy. They really are in our heads. I'm not sure where they even where the inception point even begins. Where the where did it even get implanted? I guess they do it by example. I guess all of the Congress come well, out and everyone has to they wear masks. Architects and men and engineers. Um, they have thousands of them waiting or uh, trying to put forward um, a, a new 9/11 scenario. So I guess you're right. I mean, that's what they were talking about. I mean, before sorry, no, before COVID nineteen hit, they were running these constant like military operations that uh, you know, like war gaming the whole thing out. Like they had um, uh, Dark Winter and they had all these biomedical disaster war games, and then eventually it just the, the game just rolls into reality and it just rolls out. You know, so yeah. I remember we, they had Jade. Uh, what was it, Jade Helm? Uh, Jay Helm, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of like that's what's in the next back burner, yeah. That's when the military invaded parts of Texas in a, in a and they had crisis actors. They, it was. I have to. I have to read that. Read up on it again. It, it was crazy. Well, I'm pretty sure that they called it um, the full spectrum dominance or something <laughs> like that. They were they were trying to. And this was the human part of the equation. That was what Jade Helm was working on. Well, think about it. They're probably running scenarios like that all the time. And eventually one of them is just going to unfold and be real. You know? And, and, and whenever... It's so, I think that's what happened with COVID-19. And I mean, it's the, the, that that particular virus is gone now. It's been mutated and, and it's changed to different variants. So that particular vaccine that was based on COVID-19... That you know, virus uh, RNA structure or whatever, that's no longer relevant. I mean, you know, it's not going to protect you from the new variants. And yeah. in fact, since it's had so much time to mutate and advance, and and it's it's had so many times to practice adjusting to this particular vaccine, it seems like that if it changes enough that. The, the people that took that maybe I mean I'm just saying that's what they're saying that it could it could endanger people uh, later on you know because it, I don't know why they require this absolute uh, capitulation everyone in the world has to take this thing I mean I'm just totally suspicious of it <laughs> I know it's it's I guess you would be wise to take it early on because the thing has been on the shelf for a while so if they finally get around to you like a year and a half later it's like Wow, that thing is old, you know. 